get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Scored, but the horn had already sound, and Columbus will hang on to beat the Blues by a score of five to four. Well, the Blue Jackets beat the Blues. They find themselves sputtering a bit right now. Keep talking about it until we we do it. Otherwise, uh, we're gonna hit the wall. I think uh, not playing the right way. You, you don't go too far in playoffs, and we're getting there. We're, I mean, we had success for a while. I think not always doing it, but. Uh, now it's time to do it, otherwise we won't win games. Well, it's deadline day, and this is not the way you want to be going into it. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. David Perron with some strong comments, not just there, but overall after the game on Saturday as the Blues lose 5-4 against Columbus. And Alex, the Blues are now 2-4-3 and in their last nine games. In this stretch of the last six in particular that we'll hone in on, they are allowing an average of three and a half goals per game. That's bottom 10 in the league. That's not what you want. The penalty kill has been struggling. They're bottom three in the league in this stretch. They're back to giving up more than 33 shots per game. The team as a whole is just not playing the style that we've all come to know and expect out of them. Here's more from David Perron after the game on what's gone wrong for them stylistically right now. It's just getting back to playing the right way. And uh, I find that it's easy when we're down a goal to we kind of see ourselves coming. But why can't we play that way when it's tight or or. Uh, I mean, that's playoffs hockey. You, you go up, you go to work. It helps everyone out on the changes. It helps everyone out because they're getting more tired because we're in the ozone. And it gives us momentum uh, working. And it's fun working down there versus working in your D zone. I just don't think we do that enough. Alex, I know you've talked about this before. You brought this up a number of times. We've talked enough about the defensemen, and we'll talk more about that as we go along today for sure, especially as it's deadline day. There seems to be another issue, though, with this team that is surfacing right now. And it's a divide that's taking place between the way that they have played in the past, the veterans that are on the roster, you know, guys like David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shin, all those guys. And then some of the younger guys and maybe some of the guys that have come in from the outside. And this happens. It's not just something that happens here. It happens elsewhere as well. There's a clear divide to me. And unless that gets changed, it doesn't really matter what the Blues do at the trade deadline. They've got to have their forwards playing the way that we know that they can. And right now, that is simply not taking place for this team. Yeah, it's not. And I think when I talked about it in the past, it was more so a question about the leadership just because the same issues continued to pop up where they'd go on a little bit of a stretch and play really good hockey and then they'd lose it and they'd go into a slump. And I understand slumps happen and you look at the circumstances, whether it's they were on the road in Canada or with the trade deadline looming, they're all excuses at the end of the day. And when you come down to it and you looked at this game solely against the Columbus Blue Jackets, 
I mean, some of your best players weren't playing to the level that Craig Berube needs them to. I mean, Jordan Cairo, he was a minus three in the game. And I understand Jordan Cairo has all of the skill in the world. But when you're playing 18 minutes and 17 seconds of ice time, you can't be a liability on the ice. Brandon Saad, we all love Brandon Saad. He is the prototypical Blues player. 17 minutes and 11 seconds of ice time and did not have a shot on goal. In fact, I wrote this down. You looked at the game where they had 28 shots on goal. David Perron had four of them. The defense had 13 of them. Alexi Torpchenko had three of them. So other than Torpchenko and David Perron, the rest of your forwards combined for four shots on goal. You can't have that. O'Reilly, zero. Saad, zero. Shin, one. Sonny, zero. Thomas, zero. Yeah. You can't have that. And on top of it, you can't be a liability on the ice. And that's the Craig Berube. It's not so much. And I think that's what David Perron was talking about. It's not so much of getting into the lulls because everyone goes through them. It's the consistency and the the same thing over and over. And Craig Berube preaches just going out there and working for the puck. And what David mentioned was those close games. They seem to get away from them. And then when it's 2-1, when you make it 3-2, and then you let Columbus run away with it, those are issues that have continued to rear their ugly heads for the last couple of months, which is part of the reason why you've lost seven of your last nine games. And I don't know how you fix it. Like, that's the thing that's so frustrating is they can go out there and they can make a trade. They can get a, bring a defenseman in, and that'll make them a better team. There's no doubt about it. They will be better if they go out there and get a Provorov, a Chikrin, one of the top guys that are still remaining out on the open market. But this isn't a cup team, a, a, a cup contender rather. Even if you do add one of those guys, if the forwards continue playing this way, we know that they're talented. We know they're skilled. We know they can play well defensively with the forwards. We know that they can play the style that David Perron is talking about. And that's what makes it all the more frustrating when they don't. It's almost like it's a conscious choice to just shut down and that this is not the way that they can win a Stanley Cup is the the way that they've been playing over really the last three weeks now so they've got to get that figured out and they have the leadership I'm not down on their leadership by any stretch of the imagination I think they've got plenty inside of that locker room but they need to get back to work they need to get back to being the team that they were previously when we all in this room and I would imagine a lot of Blues fans believed that they were a legit cup contender but what they've done over the last three weeks if I'm Doug Armstrong and I'm looking at and being honest with the evaluation of my roster man they made it really hard for me going into this deadline like the 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 Sherats the Giordanos the top rentals that were out there They made it damn near impossible for me to trade for one of those guys when I'm watching what's happening here versus what's happening elsewhere in the Western Conference. So, yeah, I I wouldn't have been in on any of those guys either at this point. And I think that we're on the same page here, Alex. I think it's Chikrin, Provorov or Bust. I'm not looking at any of those top end rental guys anymore. If they want to bring in a guy that is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year, maybe uh, honestly, I, I don't think it would be a great move for them to do so, but even if they went out there and they got a Zidane Chara, like, fine. I, I don't think that makes you a whole lot better, but the depth of defenseman, that's not going to cost you a lot. That's fine. I don't think you can be shopping in that mid-tier rental market or above anymore. I think it is a long-term play or a really minimalistic type of a move. Especially for what the price of all of these players are going for, and we'll get into this a little bit later on, but, I mean, if you look at what some of these defensemen have been traded for that are just purely rentals, I'm not getting into that market if I'm Doug Armstrong. I go back to a Bill Guerin comment, the general manager for the Minnesota Wild, a couple of weeks ago when Minnesota was going through their rut. 
I mean, they were basically playing the way that the Blues were playing, losing every other day, losing close games, getting blown out. And they were asking, are you going to be aggressive at the trade deadline? And Bill Guerin looked at the reporters and said, I've told the guys, I can't make a trade to get you out of this. You have to do this yourself. And I would imagine that's where Doug Armstrong's at right now. If the trade presented itself to Doug, because look, he was tied with the Hampus Lindholm over the weekend. He was in those conversations, according to mul- multiple national analysts. Sherrod deal too. Ben Sherratt deal. The Josh Manson, I would imagine that they checked in on that one. But if you're Doug Armstrong, you're looking at it and saying, I'm getting a temporary fix for something that might be an issue moving forward. So if you're him right now, I'm looking at the market. I'm looking at the names that have come off of the board and saying, okay, well, does a Nick Letty for the rest of this season, does a Carson Soucy for this season and next year, a Justin Braun, do those help us now? Or do I just go big game hunting and go get a Jacob Chikrin and Ivan Provrov? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt to pay the price of what you want because it's going to be more than what we've seen already come off of the board. But you're getting an elite defenseman and you're making your team better for the now and for the future. So I think that's where it's right now. It's either that or stand pat. Because in my opinion, you're not making yourself better by trading a third-round pick to get a Justin Braun. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is an interesting text from the 636. Guys, Minnesota has also been struggling, and they've been super active. There's no excuses for the Blues not to be. I think they're very different situations. We talked about this a little bit before the show, Alex. Minnesota has a $5 million cap charge this year for Parise and Suter, who they decided to buy out earlier last offseason. That changes next year. Over the next three seasons, 22, 23, and 24, those guys will account for basically $14 million per year on their salary cap. Two players that are not on the Wilds team anymore. So they've got to go for it this year because over the next three years, they're going to be playing at a handicap relative to the rest of the league. They are going to have $14 million less to spend every year. So while everybody else's cap uh, is like, what, 85? Is that what, 80, 85? Yeah, I think it's 80, yeah. Somewhere between there over the next few years, the Wilds are going to be closer to $70 million in what they're allowed to spend on their actual roster. So they have to go for it right now. What are they waiting for? Now is the time to do it because if you don't get it this year, the next couple of years are going to be pretty barren potentially for them. The Blues are not in that situation. Mm -hmm. The Blues window is still open. In fact, you could argue, depending on what they do in the offseason, it might open up even more after the 2022 season. So that's part of what Doug Armstrong is taking into account. And also to the texter's point of Minnesota going all in, they're really not going all in. I'm just saying they were active. I, I get it, but if you look at the moves that they made, they traded a really good prospect for a player who has been proven in Tyson Jost, but that was more accommodating to the Avalanche. And then they just acquired Mark Andre Fleury, but they traded a goaltender that would be equivalent to a Vili Husso in Capo Kakinen to get him. So as active as Minnesota is, you're right. They're looking at it saying, this is our shot to go into the playoffs and stay on this level. Whereas Doug Armstrong knows this core is going to be here next season. The only unrestricted free agent is David Perron. And we have all of our assets that we're not giving up to acquire these names at the trade deadline to where we can make big moves in the offseason. So as much as I sit here and say, I want to see the Blues get a Jacob Chikrin or a Provorov and make themselves better, you also have to be realistic and look at the bigger picture here and say, we can do this now or we can wait a couple of months in the offseason, see what happens with the playoffs, but more teams become desperate for pieces that we have, and the price not might not be as much come trade deadline time. And even with the core that you have, if you don't make a move with in terms of your forwards, with this how deep this group is, 
you can still make a run in the playoffs if you decide to sit Pat. I, I don't think it's necessarily the right move to go get one of those rental kind of depth defensemen because the guys that we're talking about replacing on this team, the Scandellas, the Mikolas, Bumpa Mikola down to the third pairing, those are depth defensemen in my opinion. So you're basically just bringing another guy into the chaos. I would hold on to the assets and go bigger in the offseason if that's the case, unless you're going to go get a Chikrin, who I would totally support doing. But with the way how deep your forwards are and how your goaltending's been playing of late, this team could still make a run. It's going to be a little bit tougher without that extra defensive defenseman, but they can still do it. Uh, it's not... I think before Doug Armstrong makes the trade to get one of these guys, it's more of an internal buy-in. And this goes back to the David Perron comment. You can go get a Jacob Chikrin and an Ivan Provorov and say, okay, we're ready for a run. But if the forwards continue to do what the forwards have been doing in these last games, that defenseman's not going to make a difference for you. There's a reason three and four or five goals have been going in against their goaltenders, and it's not on Ville Husso. It's not on Jordan Bennington. It's more on the fact that the team is just not playing as a group. This a trade could could spark a a run for a team. It could ignite a fire for a group of guys that feels like, okay, our GM believes in us. Now we got to go out and do it. But again, making a move just to make a move isn't going to put you on the same level as Colorado and Calgary and Minnesota. You got to make the right move. And if it's not there for you or if it's too much for you, then the best bet is just to sit here and say, we're going to we're going to see what our team can do if they can match that identity. Yeah, I'm not trading a first round pick for any of the rentals that are out there right now. Like I'm not doing it. I wouldn't have done it for Sherratt. I wouldn't have done it for Giordano. I'm not making those moves. The, what we just saw, my guy, Jacob Middleton, who Craig Button told us, not a good player. I nah, can't skate. Uh, the, Minnesota just traded for him. They traded their goalie, uh, their backup goalie for what Probably it's worth. Probably a huge mistake. That That's basically the Blues happened, trading Ville Husso. You weren't making that move if you're the Blues. I wouldn't certainly would not have made that move if I was the Blues. So I, I think they've been right so far to stay out of the market as is. If Chikrin ends up getting traded, I'm going to be fascinated to find out what the cost was. Because that is a move that will help you not just for right now, but also for the future for this team. I would make that move, depending on what the price is, of course. Provorov, he seems to fit exactly what this team is needing. If he ends up getting traded at the deadline and it's not to the Blues, I'll be fascinated to see what that cost is, and then we can try to match it up with what that would have meant for the Blues to give up as well. I, I really do, at least as the players that we know are available, the guys that we've talked about all along, the ones to me, it's coming back to where it all began. I think it's Provorov, Chikrin, or Bust for the Blues as we get, what, four hours now away from the NHL well, trade deadline. And, and for everyone listening right now and thinking, well, yeah, of course I want those guys. Mind you, it's going to sting. It's going to hurt. Darren Dreger of TSN reported a, about an hour ago on their trade deadline show that from what he's understanding, the price now has changed for Arizona. Rather than looking for multiple top prospects and a first-round pick, they want multiple first-round picks and a prospect. So if you want Chikrin, if you want Provorov, that is going to sting. But in my opinion, it would be worth it because you're getting an elite defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. I would do it. I, I, I told that trader right now. It's not going to feel good, but I think that's the kind of thing that whether it be now or in the offseason, the Blues are going to have to go out there and acquire. So it just depends on when you go out there and get it. And if that ends up being right now, I think it helps you potentially win a Stanley Cup this year. And that's something that I'm willing to do. But it has to come with that being a move. And also, as you said, Alex, there being more buy-in from the players. The Blues are off tonight. Back in action tomorrow against the Capitals. Pre-game coverage for that one tomorrow night with Alex Ferrario beginning at 5 o'clock. Alongside Alex and Tanner, I'm Brandon. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, it was a big weekend for the NCAA tournament. Some Cinderella stories, 
Some favorites going down early. Sorry. Sorry, Tanner. They weren't technically favored. Sorry about it, buddy. We'll get into all of the big news from the weekend coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Speaking of big news over the weekend, we found out exactly what it looks like with Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes. What this means for the Cardinals rotation could mean significant changes. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, I think, you know, it's a competition. Obviously, Woody's going to get an opportunity. Uh, Verhagen's going to get an opportunity. And, and, you know, you saw a young lefty today go. I mean, like, everybody's going to get chances. But, you know, I think the, the, the more pressure it just puts on the other four to make sure we can count on them. So, you know, then the pressure starts to become, you know, how much can you take? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. By the way, we've got a few texts in. Uh, I'm fine. I, I just am a little bit under the weather. I, I will be a okay. I'm not sad. I'm not upset. I'm I'm disappointed in the oh, Blues the way sad? they played over the weekend, oh, so but I'm good. Happy the that they're not playing well. I, I got a couple of texts, both personally and also on the text line, asking if I'm all right. I'm I'm good, guys. I'm fine. Uh, all right, let's get into that from John Mozeliak. That's what he had to say over the weekend with Jack Flaherty's spot in the rotation opening up, at least for the time being, Alex. And the news over the weekend. And let's be honest, wasn't great. Uh, apparently, Not depending great. on who you listen to, Jack Flaherty has been dealing with, it's called a slap injury. It's the labrum tear. That's, is he, that's what it is. Is he in a slap bat? Is this like how I felt my cheek was sore yeah. no, after that was Thursday a, night? No, that was a punch injury. Yeah, that, that was because that was you got too different. mouthy that night. So he has an issue with his shoulder. Uh, it's It's a minor tear. He says it's been there for years. The Cardinals <laughs> just now are bringing this out to the public light. Jack basically said, yeah, that's not the problem. The problem is not the tear. The problem is that I've got uh, this swelling that has taken place as a result of that tear. Uh, so none of that is good. None no. of that is good news. And now the question is, how long is it going to be for him to be able to rehab this? And there's no firm answer on that. All we know right now is that he's going to be out for two weeks after he got this injection of PRP into his shoulder, and they hope that that helps it, that promotes the healing, and then he's going to be A-OK, ready to go. We don't know that that will be the case. This might be a six- to eight-week type of thing. We just don't know right now. So there's a spot in the rotation to fill that Jack Flaherty would typically occupy. Here's what Katie would to say about it over the weekend over on The Athletic. She said, quote, this is hardly, there is hardly a way to replace Jack Flaherty's presence, but the Cardinals have found themselves once again in a position where they must. As the organization awaits the clarity, expect Verhagen and Woodford to be the primary candidates to open, or to open up in their rotation. Do you guys feel good about that? Sounds like Jake Woodford and Verhagen are the internal options that they're going to be looking at. And by the way, over the weekend, the last guy that I think would have made sense for them on the market, Michael Pineda signed a one-year deal worth up to $5 million with the Tigers. So that sounds like too he's much off for the, the open market. Are you guys comfortable with their current internal options? I'm about as comfortable with the internal options as I would be as the Blues saying we're going to stand pat at the trade deadline and make a push for the Stanley Cup. Wait, didn't we just say we're comfortable No, with we're that? not comfortable oh. with that. I'm fine with it. And I'm fine with the Cardinals going with this as well, but it's not going to be the recipe for you to win this, the NL Central. I, and and maybe, this, maybe this is only a month problem for Jack Flaherty or a two-month problem and we see him and he's good for the rest of the, the, the regular season. 
but from what we've experienced over the last couple of seasons when it comes to PRP injections and pitchers that are having issues in spring training, it doesn't bode, bode well for the team. Would I have liked to see them go get a Michael Pineda? Absolutely. But I also would have had the same concerns with Pineda as you're having with a Jack Flaherty of not knowing what the longevity is going to be. After watching Aaron Brooks pitch in his first spring training performance and Verhagen pitch in his first spring training performance, you know what? It looked good. But it didn't look like guys who were going to be able to fill the void of what Jack Flaherty was going to provide for you. And, as we always talk about, you're pitching against guys who are wearing 70s, 80s, and 90s numbers on their jerseys, yeah. so they're not going to be as effective. See, I, I don't mind now looking at it. I would rather have the Michael Pineda option probably, but looking at what there is on the market now, I don't mind going with the internal options. Now, granted, if it starts to look bad early on in the year and April starts to look like a disaster, then the Cardinals are going to have to make a move. But right now, I don't know if that's going to actually happen because they've got four healthy arms still in the rotation Ideally, hopefully, knock on wood, nobody else goes down with an injury. But, I mean, if you take a look at what Jake Woodford did, and I was high on him coming into the season. In fact, I think I had him on my top 20 uh, most important Cardinals list. Jake Woodford in September last year had six games, 28 and two-thirds innings pitched in a 2.51 ERA, and he was in the rotation at that time. He kind of figured something out, and I want to see him build off of that. And then also the Verhagen, I thought he looked really good yesterday. He, he he was pitching against the Mets, some some regulars in that lineup. I, I thought he looked pretty good for what he was doing in his first outing as a Cardinal. So if they're going to go internally, I don't mind it. But if things really start to go south early in the year, they have to be willing to go make a move, whether that is a late-season free agent signing like someone like a Jay Happ who's probably still going to be on the market, or even just going and get like a, another like fifth starter from a team that's already going to be out of it, like Baltimore, for example. Let's be honest, their season's going to be done in April. We, we can already start selling off some of their pieces. So I put out this tweet on Twitter, at BK Sports Talk. The best remaining free agent starters who aren't coming off of an injury, because I, I do not think this team can go out there and take a chance on one of those guys that's coming off of an injury from last year. Like, Johnny Cueto is out there. I First of all, I don't think he can be a Cardinal when Yadier Molina is still on the team. So yeah, that we can, That's like getting Brandon Phillips to play second base for it's you. It's just not going to happen. So we can write him off in, entirely. Uh, Chris Archer is out there. He's coming off of injury. I don't think they can make that move. Uh, Julio Teheran is also, he had a, apparently a little bit of a showcase over the weekend. He, I don't think he's an option for this team. So the healthy options, who buddy, get excited about these names. Wait LeBlanc, wait LeBlanc, wait Brett LeBlanc. Anderson, no, he's not he healthy. A, he has a shoulder surgery. Zach Davies. And Jay Hap. Oh my! That God. is right now wow. the top of the market. Those are the good names that are available for you right now. All right, Woody, Woody, you're up. Would you rather have the Cardinals sign one of those free agent starters, or just fill the void while Flaherty is out, however long that may be, with one of their internal options? So this, this is Woodford, Verhagen, Liberator. Sounds like Oviedo is at least maybe an option for him. Fifty-three percent of the almost five hundred votes so far have said sign one of those free agent options. I think I would rather I I think I would rather go internal options. I'm really surprised 53% said sign those internal or sign those those free agents. I think it's just one of those things where it's like if they sign somebody it shows me they're trying. But you're like I I don't think that anybody can honestly say to themselves that Zach Davies is a significant upgrade from what you have. Because you're trying to get Zach Davies from 2018 when he was effective and I don't really know much about Brett Anderson but I can tell you it's not going to be as good as you hope. (laughs) And with Jay Happ yeah Jay Happ was awesome here but I'd be worried that that was trying to strike lightning in a bottle twice and for the Cardinals I I hate saying it because you had your options with a ton of other pieces when it came to free agent availabilities 
But I'm at the point now where, like, just let these young guys roll and hope, fingers crossed, pray, whatever you need to do, that Jack Flaherty can return by May. Did you guys feel like Jake Woodford was good last year? Like, how would you assess Jake Woodford? Which Jake Woodford? The first half the entirety of the season? The entirety of the season. Would you say Jake Woodford was a problem for the Cardinals last year? Because I would say Jake Woodford was good last year. And the reason I say that is because of the way he ended the year. Because his second half actually took – because based on what he did the first half coming out of the bullpen, I, you looked at him and I was just like, yeah, it's not going to work. He's like a sixth starter at best. I, I'm not saying he's going to be like a number three starter for you, but he could be a perfectly capable number five starter, I think, on any team. I, I wouldn't say he was a problem, but he's not a solution for you. And if it's for a month – then I'd be fine with Jake Woodford. But this doesn't seem like just a month type of thing. The reason why I ask that is because here's what Jake Woodford did last year. A 3.99 ERA and just about 68 innings. Better than Zach Davies. Here's what Zach Davies did last year. A 5.8 ERA and 148 innings. That's great. Here's what Brett Anderson did. A 4.25 ERA and 95 innings. And here is what, did I just say Brett Anderson? Yeah, he just did Anderson. Uh, so who's the one that I did not? Hap. Yeah, Hap. Hap. we he all had know a what he did. ER, four ERA and I think eleven starts yeah. last year with the Cardinals. So, Yay. All of your options are bad. <laughs> Whether you go pay somebody three million dollars to be bad, or if you have Jake Woodford as an internal option on a super cheap deal and he's not great, you don't have any good options. At least with Woodford, there's some upside there potentially, and it might not work. It it probably isn't going to work long term. But the reality is, unless they go out there and make a trade for one of the two starters that are available from the A's, there is no good option. I think Michael Pineda was a better option than any of the guys that we're currently talking about. His stuff actually plays up. It is Shane Bieber's a great average. option. It's a great option if you want to trade Nolan Gorman Your and Matthew Libertor and Jordan fine. Walker. No, that'd no, no, be great. no, not Jordan Walker. Everybody but him. There aren't good options available out there, and it sucks to say it that way, but that's the reality. And and when John Mosellock, I'm sure you're going to hear him say something to the effect of, "Yeah, you know the the free agent market is is thinning out out there." He's that's right because you didn't He's right. do anything. He's right. But that's because you didn't do anything. There there were more the, options. The only option you had really was Pineda. He was the one that was still available when these injuries came up. And if you're going to crush them, and I I get it if you are if you think that they should have signed Pineda, I think they should have signed Pineda, personally. I think they made a mistake in not doing so. It was proven commodity that you could have thrown into your rotation and given you even more depth. I think they made a mistake in not making that move, but that's the only one that I can really crush. I also think they should be picking up the phone and calling. Oakland right now I think I there should be a lot more a lot more urgency on the Cardinal side of calling Oakland when you have these two guys sitting there and I understand Oakland's trying to get a lot right now but look you got an option Oakland you can keep Sean Maniah for one year and then move on or you can get what we're willing to give you and there's got to be a piece in your system that you're willing to move on from to acquire somebody who could be a top three starter for you and, and the other thing with signing someone like a Pineda or even honestly a Zach Davies is if you sign them they're probably going to be coming into the rotation for the rest of the season and that's something I think the Cardinals are going to take a look you look at Woodford you can option him down or he he's been in the bullpen before granted it didn't go well but maybe you could move him to the bullpen be a part of the shadow rotation some of those guys like a Jay Happ I don't know if he could be a bullpen arm for you a Zach Davies I'm not sure he could go to the bullpen and be a bullpen arm even a part of a shadow rotation 
just harder for some guys to be. Those guys are also like two million dollar flyers. So if you did have to DFA him later on, I I don't think it's a huge deal for him. Like they could make that move later. But but I think that's part of the consideration going into the Cardinals mind and some of this thinking. Yeah, and the the other issue is they just don't know how long these guys are going to be out. Like, if Jack Flaherty's going to be out for four months, you needed to sign somebody. You did. You you don't have internal options that are going to be able to cover for four months of Jack Flaherty being out. But none of these guys that you could have signed either were going to cover for Jack being out. There isn't a Jack Flaherty replacement. That's That's the truth of the matter. This team is going to need somebody internally to step up to be that guy. Maybe it's Dakota Hudson. I don't know that he's got the strikeout stuff to be a legit number one. Michaelis. Probably. He's shown he can't. I don't know if you considered that year he first came. He was a Cy Young candidate. He was so a, yeah, he absolutely. finished ninth. So he can be that guy. The problem is he's coming off the injuries, and you're going to be a little bit more cautious with him. But I will say this. I thought he looked really good yesterday. In his, I think it was two innings he threw. I thought he looked really good. He had a 77-mile-an-hour curveball. It was almost like Zach Greinke curveball-esque. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. But he looked really good. So he's probably the guy for me. They need help. They need help, and they need Jack Flaherty to be back as soon as humanly possible, and maybe that's going to come in the form of Jake Woodford. Maybe it'll be a uh, Matthew Liberator, Oviedo. Like, they've got names. They've got options out there that they can throw. Verhagen, I I just don't feel great about any of them. That's the honest truth of the matter, and as the rest of the National League is getting better, I think the Cardinals got worse this offseason. Compared to where they were going into last year, looking at the team going into this season, it's really hard for me to make the case that they're significantly better right now. I don't know if they got worse. I think everybody just surpassed them. I, I think they're basically in the same plane they were last year. Oh, no. See, I think they dropped a little bit. When you lose at least a month of Jack Flaherty, and let's be realistic here, it's not just a month you're losing of him Probably. because he has not had a normal offseason. Jack Flaherty a lot of last year. Too. Understandably but we didn't know that so. going into the year. And at least you had him at the That's beginning fair. of the that's season. Fair. Now I, I'm I, talking about look at them last year in spring training and then look at them now because that's the one-to-one comparison that we can make. It's the team that you're breaking camp with, right? It, they did have some questions in the rotation. Like you, KK was hurt. Michaelis was hurt. I mean, that's basically where they're at now. KK is the equivalent this year to Alex Reyes, and Michaelis is the equivalent this year to Jack Flaherty, who we knew both of them were coming off of the injuries. Michaelis last year, Flaherty this year. And then the team around them, it's hard for me to make the case that it's it's better now. Maybe you can just say they've stayed the same while the rest of the teams around them have gotten better. That's fine. Relative to their opponents, they've gotten worse. And that's that's, that's scary for me going into the year as somebody who was pretty optimistic about the team beforehand. Right, I was feeling good, ready for opening day. Now you guys got me all like down and in the gloves. We're gonna be like Baltimore. Let's oh. make t- let's make Tanner feel even better. Let's break down the first weekend of the oh, NCAA tournament yes. coming up next. Let's go. One on ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on One Hundred and One ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's recap the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. We are down to 16. How many do you guys have so far of, of your bracket? How many of the 16 do you still have? Correct. Seven. I got seven. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. How many do you Basketball have? Basketball BK's got nine. <laughs> it's not good for any of us. All of us are. How many of your final four, four teams are still alive? Two, uh, three, three of my four. Oh, really? Yeah, three, three, have three of my four have. are still still alive. I've got Texas Tech, UCLA, and Arizona still oh, alive. Okay. Oh, someone was on the Texas Tech train. Well, you'll That's lose right. because Chet will make sure Texas Tech goes home crying. What I have learned Uh-oh. is that if you were a backer of the Big Twelve, doing pretty well right about now. If you were a backer of the Big Ten or the SEC, yeah. though, not noise. going well right Thanks now a lot, for you guys. SEC, ooh, the toughest conference. It's gone really poorly for. For the SEC thus far. Let's get into it. Like Coach Cal can't win a pari. 
That was actually kind of good. Thank you. I worked on that. Biggest surprise for tell. you over the weekend was what? Uh, personally, Virginia Tech screwing over my parlay. Who, who, saw, who thought Virginia Tech was going to lose to Texas? Me, not Vegas. this guy. <laughs> not this guy. Me. I had to take an underdog there, but they were the only one. There's a couple that really surprised me, but I think the biggest one was Baylor. I mean, Baylor was the one that, and I've, I heard people say going into this term, tournament that don't get too excited about Baylor because they have a tough setup. I didn't think North Carolina was going to be that good. And they the, were my biggest surprise was North Carolina yeah. or, or one of them. I've got a few, but North Carolina was up there. I didn't see this from I them. I just didn't think they were going to be that good to take down number one seed Baylor. And I mean, that one wasn't even close. It felt like, although it went to overtime, they led that entire basketball game. Yeah. Baylor was a shock to me. The, the other one that kind of surprised me as well as Michigan. I didn't think Michigan was that good Same. coming into the tournament. And now they're dancing in the sweet 16 and they've run through Colorado State, who I thought they were going to lose to, Tennessee, who was a pretty good SEC team, and they took them down. Now they got on Villanova, and honestly, I think they can give Villanova a run for their money. The other one is, guys, I'm a I'm a Peacock fan now. That's right. St. Peter's, let's go. Taking down Murray State. Come on. Who didn't see the 15 coming? And honestly, ah, they don't stand a chance to get pursued, Honestly, But it was fun while it lasted. At this time, I just want pure carnage. I just want everyone in the bracket sure. to just be upset. I want like a, a 10, a 12, yeah, a the 4, West, and a 7 in the West final four. with the 1, 2, 3, and 4 alive, there's, something's got to change. By the way, I never want to hear Tanner tell us about momentum from the uh, the tournament, the conference tournaments ever again. Why? Why? Richmond won and they yeah. won their conference North tournament. North Carolina who lost to Virginia Tech in the second round of the ACC Virginia tournament supposed to be good. is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Michigan, who to lost fair, to Indiana in I the think, first round of the Big Ten to, tournament. To be fair, I think North Carolina won like six of its last eight heading into the tournament. Yeah, and then lost to Virginia Tech. No, I'm good. Um, I don't need to hear about this momentum coming off of conference tournaments well, how do you anymore. explain St. Par- St. Peter's then? They got hot. They got hot. Momentum Credit from them. winning their conference <laughs> tournament. You get hot from momentum. It applies BK. to some and not others, right? Yeah, exactly. you got to be able to handle the momentum, and some guys just aren't good enough to handle it. What was your biggest disappointment over the weekend? Tanner, we can start with you, buddy. It was Illinois. <laughs> Why, and buddy? Honestly, what happened? Like, I went into that game and expected them to lose. They, were, they, were, uh, they weren't even the favorites as the higher seed against Houston. But man, they, it was the things that had killed them all year long, and, and and it, I should have known that was going to be what eliminated them in the tournament. They struggled on the boards mightily, even with Kofi Coburn in the game. And then they turned the ball over. I, I can't remember what the turnover number was. It was in the double digits. It, it was the same thing over and over. They got back into the game. They get the technical foul on the dunk, which was just stupid. And then that it was just, a bad call. And then it just went downhill from there. And, and they couldn't get going. And, and honestly, especially early in the game, I thought they were going to get blown out. Because uh, I think at one point they were down, I think it was like nine or something, but all their shots were coming from Carbell and they're coming from Hawkins from three point range. This guy's like combined to shoot 22%. So they couldn't get going offensively, and let alone their first round performance against Chattanooga. Like, I should have known after that game that they were going to get knocked out, but I got my hopes up, and, you know, here I am today. T Bone told us for so long in the season that Carbella is bad, he's awful, turnovers, and hey, I was it right. finally caught up to yeah. him. I mean, Kerbella was the problem benched, there. If I'm not mistaken, I think Underwood benched him for the final couple of minutes in that game. How much heat is on? I, I mean, look, Underwood's done a phenomenal job, but like you got to start wondering because he hasn't zero even got zero heat. Zero heat. He's sir. got a, he's got a great uh, class coming in. He's got three four stars committed. He's got a four star coming in from Baylor as a transfer. Houston thing. was not a five seed. Amen. Well, they were brother. a five seed. No, but the the committee screwed Illinois, and oh. I'm not even even an Illinois again. Fan. More excuses. I'm sorry, they got it wrong, and the 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 team that ended up being the benefactor of it was Houston and then last year it was Loyola 
those teams were not seeded correctly. And when you seed other teams incorrectly, it screws somebody. So last year was Illinois when they ended up having uh, Loyola, who was a top 10 team in the country. I said this last week. I knew it was going to happen, and it did. It went exactly as it did a year ago. Loyola was a top 10 team nationally based on all of the advanced numbers a year ago. They finished as, what, an 8 or a 9 seed? And then this year, right now, if you go over at KenPalm.com, Houston is the number two team in the country and they were a five seed in this tournament. It was absurd. It was an absolutely ridiculous seeding for them. So I I don't blame Brad Underwood at all. I blame the seeding for this. They got screwed and it's unfortunate. I feel bad for Illinois fans because they had to go up against, in my opinion, a legit top 10 team in the country and they had to do so in the second round. And that's completely unfair to them. So I, I don't blame Brad Underwood. I think there should be zero heat today on him. His teams have been really good. They just won the Big Ten for the first time in more than 15 years. Wow, co-champions. Successful season for Illinois. It just didn't work out for him in the end because of the committee. And unlike last year, I thought Underwood got out coached by... who was the Moses? Was it Moses Porter? Was that yeah, his name? Yeah. yeah. I thought he Porter got out. Porter Mosier. Porter Mosier. That's it. Thank you. I thought he got out coached in that game last year. This year, I didn't think he got out coached. I just think Illinois got out played. They ran into a better team, and you know what happened. So. Who was your biggest disappointment over the weekend, Alex? Mine was Tennessee. I mean, I was told going into this tournament that Michigan was not going to be good. I picked them to beat Colorado State because I did believe in the momentum going into it. Um, plus, their head coach throws a, a mean punch. <laughs> But I didn't expect Michigan to lose to or to beat Tennessee. I, I I really did think Tennessee had elite eight possibilities, and I mean they just did not play like it in that game. And that one, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't even a buzzer beater. Like Michigan, Michigan was good in that game. Yep. So yeah, Michigan was definitely uh, or Tennessee was one of my my biggest disappointments as well. The, the SEC as a whole. I mentioned this earlier. I think they they all just were so disappointing over this weekend. The only team that still remains from the SEC is Arkansas. And I didn't love Arkansas this year. I'm going to be totally honest with you. If UConn had advanced, I think there was a chance they would have lost as well. They had a tough time with New Mexico State. So the SEC as a whole was a disappointment to me. I thought Baylor was disappointing, but they had so few guys that were now available to them that it was going to be a tough run for them to be able to get any further than what they did. Those were probably my biggest disappointments coming off of the weekend. I'm sure there are probably some who who thought Wisconsin losing to Iowa state uh, was disappointing, but I didn't think Wisconsin was all that good this year. So I I don't think I can say they're disappointing. Auburn would be another, but that falls into the sec category. Them losing to Miami is just embarrassing. I'm never trusting, trusting the sec again in tournaments. I honestly thought that they were. I don't know what just happened here with our music bed. We'll cue it again. Game over. Uh, but I, uh, I do. I was not big on Auburn heading into the tournament. Like so watching them play against SLU here at home, I, they had not played well. So I, I thought they were definitely going to be bounced. I didn't see it in the second round though. I thought they were going to be knocked out in the Sweet 16. If you could redo your bracket today, last thing here, I'd be perfect. <laughs> With the knowledge that I have now? Oh, yeah, 100%. St. <laughs> Peter's getting the Sweet 16. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you have going to the national title game based on what we saw over the weekend? If you could redo your bracket today, who would be playing? Honestly, my my championship game, I still believe in. It's Gonzaga versus Houston. And, like, that's how I had it. My final four, Kentucky and Auburn, I they're already gone with this one. But I don't think I would change that because from the games that I have watched, those two teams have been the most dominant in both performances. See, I think I would probably go Duke versus 
I think Villanova still. I had Villanova get the championship. I've been impressed with him. I'm out on Gonzaga. I think they win in the Sweet 16. I think they lose to Duke. I've not been impressed with them so far. Don't doubt They Chet, struggled man. early on in that first round against Georgia State. Yeah, but and then, then they ran away with it. Yeah, we went on like a five-minute uh, walk. And yeah. came back and they were out, we came back and it was like 80 to 40. I'm like, what the hell just happened? They had a tough time against Memphis. And Memphis yeah. is a really talented team. We knew that all year. It was just a matter of them putting it together. But they had a really tough time getting through that one. I don't think they're going to struggle with Arkansas. I think they'll be fine in that game. I think whoever whoever they go up against, Texas Tech or Duke, Duke's been really impressive to me. I, I, I've, I've been, been impressed, impressed by they them. They got that Cinderella story just in terms of the Mike Krzyzewski's final season. Yeah, I, I think whoever advances from Texas Tech ver, or Duke are going to have a really good chance to be able to take down Gonzaga. I think my championship game, I would still have Arizona getting in. I was not impressed with them last night. I wasn't night. either. Granted, TCU played a hell of a game, and but I, I was not like impressed. Ten minutes of it. I was more watching the Michigan State game, but Arizona, I understand they weren't super impressive because they had to fight and claw their way through that victory. TCU was amazing last night. They were hitting shot after shot. That big man that they've got was giving every every ounce of his effort. So I, I still think Arizona's really good. And then I, would, I think Purdue... It might be my team coming out of the other side of the I've bracket. I've been impressed with Purdue. They've been really good, man. I just, I just don't know if they get past UCLA because I've been really impressed with UCLA. I've been high on them all year. That was my team going in. I had UCLA, so we'll see where well, we end UCLA up UCLA is losing the next round then. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're getting back into the picks. Blues. By the way, the uh, Justin Braun trade was for a third-round draft pick in 2024, if I'm not mistaken. So Justin Braun going for a third-round pick in a couple of years uh, to the Rangers. That's really surprising. 2023. 2023. Third okay, round so next pick year is uh, what the Rangers gave up to get Justin Braun, my guy. Uh, so it looks like other teams value, valued him the way that I did. Coming up in 15 minutes, would you have done any of the trades that took place over the weekend for the Blues? We'll talk about that. But coming up next, 65780 is your comfort service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 618. Hey guys, what'd you think of Mizzou's hire going with Dennis Gates over the weekend? You guys mind if I... You're the expert, if I get a couple my man. of takes on this. You, I guarantee you have been watching Cleveland State highlights for the last 72 hours. I listened to three podcasts that he was a part of over the weekend. Um, he's a really interesting, to, interesting dude. I'm going to start off with this. As a person, he reminds me a whole lot of Konzo Martin. Oh, no. Again, as a person, he reminds me of Konzo. He grew up in West Chicago. Uh, he graduated from Cal Berkeley in three years, graduated with a uh, master's degree in four years from one of the best institutions in America. Dang, that's impressive. He is a super bright guy. Uh, he did one podcast that I listened to that was like 45 minutes of him explaining the different types of learning and teaching philosophies that he believes in. Like He's, he's really good in, in, in a lot of ways. He also has all of the same questions that I had about Conso when he was hired. He's coming from Cleveland State, although he was an assistant down at Florida State and was a very good recruiter by all accounts for nine years. He doesn't really have an offensive philosophy that I'm aware of. His offense looks a lot like what you saw from Konzo. But defensively, he, he has a very specific philosophy. It's different than Konzo's. It's more about length and athleticism and playing in the passing lanes and creating havoc. So that should be fun to watch. 
I say all that to say this. I think it's probably one of the better hires they could make. I think I would have gone Kim English over Dennis Gates, but I get why you go Dennis Gates over Kim English at this point in both of their respective careers. It's all going to come down to does he recruit or not? Can he recruit at a high level? And that we just don't know. I've never seen him do it at a power five type of a job. He did it at Cleveland State and did a really good job there. That was a terrible program, Alex. Before he got there, it was like one of the worst in the horizon. He won back-to-back, or he won two out of the three years there, Coach of the Year nominees. So he's a hell of a coach. I'm just curious to see how it works at Mizzou. My my ultimate grade, if I had to give it one, is like a B. Yeah. I think it's a solid hire. I think that's a really good grade, and it'd probably be where I I was at on this one. And you're right. The first thing that pops out to me is the success he has at Cleveland State because I've never even heard of Cleveland State. And You're not alone. Most the people fact probably that they made the first round of the NCAA tournament. What was that last year? And this year it was the NIT tournament. So that means he got close, but you're talking about a guy who was nearly 20 wins one year. And then the next year he gets to 20 wins. So there's success there. Recruitment is the only thing I'm concerned about right now. And that's why I really would have, I wish they would have gotten Kim English because I think the recruiting and specifically in Missouri would have been successful and especially when you're going up against Brad Underwood and Travis Ford like you got to have some you got to have some background there to keep the talent in state that's why I wanted Kim English but maybe he surprises us because I didn't know a whole lot about Eli Drinkwitz when the guy was hired and then all of a sudden it was boom off and running yeah I'll be very curious to see how he is on the recruiting trail because he has the history of being successful at it and if you get Cleveland State like BK mentioned where you turn around that program that quickly as he did He's had success in it. So I'm curious if he can bring that to the SEC. The good news for him, if you want to call it good news, is the SEC, there's been a lot of in-house changes across the conference. There's only a couple of coaches coming back from next year, and they just got all, most of them just got bounced in the tournament. So he's coming in basically fresh, just like a lot of other programs. So he's going to have equal footing with a lot of teams heading into the conference year. It'll be very curious to see how he does recruiting-wise. That's the number one thing. I will add this. He's super charismatic. Like He's a very likable guy, and he's got some pretty good energy, so I think that there's a chance he'll be a very good recruiter. It just hasn't been proven yet thus far, and that's why Mizzou was able to get him. Like You look at some of these hires that have taken place so far. I know there was a lot of Mizzou fans that were disappointed that they had to drop all the way to the Cleveland State coach. Man, you're not getting guys that are sitting Power 5 coaches. Georgia got one because Florida wanted to fire Mike White. So he takes the job at Florida, and they're able to get a get-out-of-jail-free card with that. Uh, San Francisco's coach got the job down at Florida. We'll see if that works or not. South Carolina looks like they might... I think it's like the Fordham coach is who they're looking at right now. Like, that's not a big-time job. And same thing for Mizzou. Now you've got a guy that's coming from Cleveland State, and I think the Murray State coach is likely to get the LSU job. So it's not like any of these teams were picking up sitting Power 5 jobs um, where their former coaches were at. All right, let's get a couple of quick hitters here from the 618. Guys, if the Blues lose this round, Alex, I'll have you answer this one. Do you think that anyone from management or the coaching staff would be on the hot seat? No. I don't. I mean, man, you got both Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube locked up long term now and good that that is the case. And I mean, I think the assistant coaches are still on a year deal, if I'm not mistaken. That's what Doug Armstrong said. So, no, nobody's on the hot seat if they miss this season, because I think they look at 2023 as a big year from the 314 guys. Jack Flaherty being out for at least a couple of weeks. Do you think this changes anything with his future here in St. Louis? 
I, I don't know if you look at locking him up long term because of the injury history. I, I'm very curious to see how the Cardinals review that. They may offer him a contract extension that is more team friendly than originally because Jack Flaherty was betting on himself, and so far the bet is not going his way because you can't you can't lock up a guy. Jack Flaher- Flaherty's talent is there for a big time contract extension, but if he's got injury history, you got to be very weary about doing it. Last one from the six one eight guys. It looks like Al Michaels is headed to Amazon for quote Joe Buck money end quote. I'd love Joe Buck money. Do the broadcasters make you tune in or make you tune out on games, or do you just watch them regardless? I don't think they really have that much of an impact because I want to watch the game. Like sometimes I won't even realize who's talking. It's just because you're watching the game. But I will say I've always loved Al Michaels and I do look forward to Sunday night football when he along with um, Collinsworth are on the call. So if he goes to Amazon, I'll be paying a little bit more attention to games that are on Amazon. I definitely pay more attention if it's those bad matchups, if there's good announcers on it. Like you get Thursday night football, usually historically is bad matchups like Jacksonville and like Miami. I'll pay attention to it. Like this past year, it was Joe Buck. If Al Michaels is doing it, I'm going to pay attention. If if they didn't have good broadcasters, I wouldn't watch those games. Yeah, I think that's probably where I'm at as well. They make me more likely to tune out if they're bad. It's less about them being good and more about just avoiding the really bad announcers because we all know there are some of those. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes or so, speaking of Jack Flaherty, we're going to get an update from Will Carroll. He's a sports injury expert. He wrote a book on the science of baseball, including a lot of stuff on the biomechanics for pitching. We're going to talk to Will Carroll about Jack Flaherty's injury and what it means for him coming up at 1215. But next, would you have done any of the trades for a defenseman that took place over the weekend? I'm going to ask Alex that. We'll get his thoughts coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. really believes in this team right now based on what he does. If he thinks that this team is a move away from really making a push, I think he'll make it. But, I, you know, watching, you guys have watched it out there. It's been a very up and down several weeks. I don't think they've been all that happy with their complete 200-foot game, something that they were really good at when they won the Stanley Cup in 2019. Obviously, there's some different personnel now, particularly on the blue line. You know, you never quite know what he's going to do, but I think when the day ends, we'll have an idea of how he feels about his team. That was EJ Raddick of NHL Network earlier today on with Carriker and Smallman. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I'm not sure I actually agree with his assessment there. And it's not to call out EJ Raddick or anything, but I think we a lot of the times do this where we say, hey, the general manager, in this case, the president of hockey operations will tell us how they feel about a team based on their actions. I think I could spin it either way, though. Like if they decide not to add today, I think the way that Doug Armstrong will spin it is he'll say this publicly. We didn't feel like there was anything that we needed to add externally. We have everything we need inside of that locker room to go on a cup and go on a run and win a cup this year. That's one way that you could spin it. Another way that you could spin it is he didn't make a move because he doesn't believe in this team. Which one is true? I don't know. I don't think that we'll ever honestly know the answer to that question. If they do go out there and add a big time asset on an expiring deal, there's only one way to read that one, though. That would suggest that they believe in this team to the point where they were willing to go all in on 2022. If they go out and get a Jacob Chikrin or an Ivan Provorov, both of those would be winning for now and the future. So it's really hard unless they make that huge move for a 
a guy on an expiring deal, which honestly, I'm not sure that exists anymore now that Sherratt and Giordano are both gone. I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to read into what Doug Armstrong thinks about his current club based on the move that he makes at this deadline. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm with you. I mean, there's going to be multiple ways you can view it at the trade deadline of how Doug Armstrong viewed his team, but they're they're in an interesting spot right now because you want to make a trade and you want to upgrade your team, but the options just aren't out there that make you say, you know what, this makes us a Stanley Cup contender. And I think the one way Doug Armstrong would say if he doesn't make a trade at the deadline is the costs were just too much for us to make to pull the trigger on. Because Doug Armstrong knows he's one of the, he and his team are one of the best evaluators of talent when it comes to scouting players and scouting opportunities to make trades. Look no further than the Pavel Buchnevichs, the Brandon Sodge, the Ryan O'Reillys. Like he knows what matches this team's identity. So if you're looking at something that you feel like could be a fit but it's not the right fit, you're not going to give up too much just to make a trade. So I can see Doug Armstrong saying it was just too much for us to go out there and make a move with it, but as much as you can see the team standing pat, if Doug Armstrong views this team as a team that's just kind of a cusp team to where they have incredible offense, but the defense is struggling and we can't upgrade it and we're just not sure about the goaltending, he's done it before. I'm not saying he's going to do it now, but he's done it before where you have pending free, unrestricted free agents and you make a, and you make the move to try and garner something for those players that you can't bring back. I don't think he would do it, but... There, I've seen crazier things where Doug Armstrong has looked at his team and said, hey, you know what? We feel like this team's good, but we just don't know if we're as good as the Colorado Avalanche, the Calgary Flames, and teams like that. I just don't think you can do that. Not this year. I think they're too good right now. I mean, you're, I, I understand that they haven't been playing all that well of late, but you've got 77 points. Right now, you're in second place in the Central Division. You're in third place overall in the Western Conference. I don't think you can sell from that kind of a team. If this was, they they had dropped down and they were now below the wilds and the predators and the stars. If you got to that point, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I could listen to your argument, but you've lost seven of your last 10 games. I hear you, but you're still in second in the division. So if you had lost seven of 10 and you had dropped to fourth in the division, I could totally listen to the argument that you're clearly heading in the wrong direction. And also you have now lost your spot in the playoffs. I can't look at where they're at right now in the playoff picture and, and honestly say to you in the next six weeks, uh, you're going to fall out of the playoffs. I, I I don't think if they decided to sell, I think there would be a lot of explaining for yeah, them to do. I, I, mean, I, I, I can't imagine they do that. I'm with you a hundred percent on that. And I don't think they would either. I'm just, I'm looking at the other side. I'm playing devil's advocate here because in that 2017, 2018 season, when they traded Stastny, they weren't in a playoff spot, Yeah, but they were one point away from being in a playoff. Spot. And that's the situation that I think you could make an argument for it this year. But if they were, if they had dropped that yes. low, I, I hear you. But here's the other thing to remember. And we talked about this in the open of the show. Minnesota's making better, more moves right now. Uh, Dallas, I don't think, is going to be doing much. Nashville's not going to be doing much. Vegas can't do much. So you just kind of look at the landscape. You do view yourself as a playoff team. That's why I come back to, if you look at the moves that took place over the weekend, I don't know if any of those moves made my team significantly better than what they are right now. With the exception of Hampus Lindholm, but after looking at some of the analytics on him, 
I don't know if he matched what the Blues were desperately looking for. That's why it comes back to Jacob Chikrin and Ivan Provorov. If those moves are on the table, those are the moves that make you significantly better and you pull the trigger on, not a rental that moves the needle a little bit. So I just looked up what the who the top guys are on Frank Saravalli's uh, trade list, right? So he's got a top 50. I want to say right now, Marco Scandella is at number 40. So... If Scandal is at number 40, I'm looking for guys that are above that threshold, right? Because those are the guys that he at least views as being better than Marco Scandella currently. Here's that list. We all know Chikrin. He's up there right right towards the top of this list. He does not have Provorov on this list for what it's worth. So maybe he's not available as much well, as we were hoping. And I was just going to say David Pignota, uh, one of his colleagues at the fourth period, Flyers are definitely not moving Provorov or Sanheim today per a source. There's been interest and things can change down the line, but nothing is happening today. Okay. That's so, somebody who covers the NHL for the fourth period, along with our friend uh, David Pinota. And that comes back to what we were talking about on Friday, where we, we were talking about the possibility of the Blues trading um, Bennington, and that seems like an off-season type of a thing. So maybe those two are kind of related. Usually uh, those kind of things are you're planting the seeds for sure. the off-season. So if you're not going Chikrin, you're not going Provorov, who it sounds like is unavailable, here are the other guys that are potentially available. Nick Letty, Carson Soucy, Colin Miller, who's a right-handed defenseman for what it's worth, Brendan Dillon. Those are your four options that are above right now Scandella on this trade list. Would you be in how many of those guys, if any, do you think are clearly sizable upgrades for this team? For what the cost has been for Letty, these guys? Susie, Miller, and Dillon. For what the cost has been, I'd say Susie's probably the only one because you got controllable assets with them to where you, you have them for another year. Nick Letty, I understand a lot of people have talked about Nick Letty, and he is a very good puck mover. But, I mean, for what these guys are going for, I mean, are you willing to give up a a first-round pick for a Nick Letty Mm. or maybe a multiple second- and third-round picks? Because that's what you might be having to do for a guy who's the top candidate at the trade market. So I just don't know if I'd be willing to pay the price for those four guys and look at my team and say, okay, we've made ourselves significantly better. Yeah, I'm I'm at the same... Same spot as you. To me, these are all guys that they're a little bit better than what you're getting in a Marco Scandell who's on your top pairing, but I don't know if I'm willing to pay the price that we're seeing these guys go for. I, I think if I'm Army at this point, I, I might just be standing pat, and I think that's probably the way he's going to go. Or you look at the flip side of it, and you go the opposite direction, and you look for a fourth liner. You look for an energy guy like a Cal Clutterbuck to bring in, to give yourself a little bit of an identity, to bring in a veteran leadership and somebody who can just move the needle a little bit for your forwards. I like Susie as an option. I'm fascinated to find out what that price looks like. If he ends up getting a first or a second conditional type of thing, and then you've got to figure out the money as well, it's just hard for me to see that being worth it. So, Because he's I, just an unproven commodity. You don't know if he's a top four defenseman. Yeah, I just don't know, man. I, I look at these, and it goes back to what we said earlier. It's Chikrin, Provorov, or Bust. It might be chicken or bust for the Blues at the trade deadline. Yeah. And if that ends up being the case, I think I'm probably with you, Alex. Maybe it is. You go out there, you make a fourth-line addition, and then you end up going uh, going into the offseason looking for that top-four defenseman. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Will Carroll, sports injury expert, is going to join us. want to get his thoughts on both Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty. Where are we at with their injuries? What do their injuries mean for their availability this year? We'll ask Will Carroll next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
No good news ever starts by hearing that a pitcher has some sort of a shoulder injury. And that's what we heard over the weekend with Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty, both being shut down for at least the next couple of weeks with shoulder issues. And I always like giving a call to Will Carroll, the sports injury expert, and now the author of the science of baseball, the math technology and data behind America's pastime. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Will Carroll joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Will, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well. You know, it's always bad when we're talking, but, uh, you know, I always enjoy talking to you guys. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're, we appreciate you giving us the time today. Let's start with Jack Flaherty because there's been a little bit of back and forth between he and the team. Some of the communication has been less than great. The team basically came out and said he's got a slight tear in a slap, otherwise known as the, the labrum in his shoulder, and they decided to go with a PRP injection to hopefully promote some of the healing within that shoulder, and they, they believe two weeks from now they can reevaluate. He then came out and said, hey, this is an issue that I've been dealing with for years now, and it's not the tear that's the problem. It's the inflammation that became an issue because I was overcompensating. Will, can you clear this up for any of our listeners and frankly for us as well as to what's going on with Jack Flaherty's shoulder? Yeah, and Flaherty gave really technical details, which you normally don't see from a player. So I'd like to see that. I like somebody who's involved in his care, who clearly understands what's going on with his body. Uh, and understands what's going on with, with his mechanics in terms of that. So what he has is, is a slap tear, which is a, a lesion. It's a part. It's a kind of tearing. Uh, it's a superior lesion, anterior to posterior. Don't worry about that part. <laughs> but the labrum is just a, a piece of cartilage inside the shoulder, and when it gets damaged, it can cause some problems. Uh, you have one in your hip. Any sort of ball and socket joint, like the shoulder or the hip that has to have full range of motion is going to have that piece of cartilage uh, called the labrum. And this is just one of those tears. Now, there's a lot of debate as to why this happens, how this happens, if the labrum is even cartilage or whether it's part of the biceps. Uh, But again, these these are really technical things that we'll let the surgeons uh, debate. What he has is bursitis, which is uh, you have these bursa sacs, which are basically small little cushions throughout the body. Uh, He has one near that tear. And when it inflamed, it kind of pushed that tear open a little bit more. And because he was altering his mechanics to that, it was causing problems in this, this tear. Now, here's the thing about tears. People hear slap tears, people hear bucket handle tears, any sort of shoulder tear, and you're freaking out. But a lot of them are asymptomatic. Uh, You know, if it's not affecting something else, a lot of pitchers have them. Uh, Flaherty says he's had his for four years. That's plausible. Uh, people say, oh, uh, yeah, they're uh, trying to downplay it. No, that's very, very common. So if they can clear up the, the bursitis, and, and I don't understand the PRP injection in terms of that, um, if you do the PRP to try to clear up the labrum. If the labrum was the problem, uh, you would do more of an anti-inflammatory. My guess is they did both. Um, a lot of times you'll put uh, other things in with that PRP, which is basically just your own blood. Um, so, again, it, it seems like Flaherty gave us more information and has this thing on track. We just have to hope that uh, that that bursitis calms down and that by calming that down, 
uh, the tear in his labrum goes back to being asymptomatic. So, Will, you mentioned the the PRP injection, and you know, I guess Cardinals fans have a little PTSD with this because Miles yeah. Michaelis went through this last year, and then we all know it was supposed to be a month, and then next thing you know, he's not pitching till June or July. Uh, is this something that Cardinals fans should be concerned about with Jack Flaherty? That even if they act like it's a month, this could be something that carries over. Yeah, it, it, it always could. Um, but you know, PRP injections are pretty standard at this point. At worst, they do nothing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of placebos. One of these days, I'm going to come out with my own line of organic, all-natural placebos and make a million dollars. But you know, PRP, the, the studies are very, very mixed on whether they work or not. But again, uh, if it does, if you also had an anti-inflammatory injection, as I expect, uh, you know, it, it, at worst, it does nothing, and, and at best, it helps promote healing. So, Will, what's the typical? I, I know it's hard because everybody's different, but yeah. in terms of the typical timeline for for a bursitis like this, what would you typically be looking at for a starting pitcher? For a starting pitcher, it gets a little bit more complicated. You know, the actual bursitis, an anti-inflammatory, works fast. We've all taken an Advil, and you get relief pretty quickly uh, if you put something a little more high powered in there and you put it directly into a joint, you can get results you know, darn near instantly. Uh, what you have to worry about is, you know, everything's going to have to come together. Obviously the bursitis affected the labrum, the labrum affected its throwing uh, and, and caused more problems. And you wonder whether those are interrelated, uh, whether it's one of those uh, descending cycles. Uh, but you know, if they get the inf- inflammation down and get the labrum back to it, then it's just a matter of getting him back to throw it. Uh, so he could be throwing in a week, uh, two weeks. Uh, I'm not sure when they're going to reevaluate this thing and take another MRI, but uh, it's a situation that could get back pretty quickly. And with two weeks, depending on where his uh, chronic workload was, he could get that ramp up back fairly quickly. Well, what about Alex Reyes? I mean, is this one that, that could be considered a lot more problematic for the Cardinals than the yeah. Jack Flaherty one? Yeah, it is. And there is nothing I hate more than seeing somebody who's had elbow problems who is now having shoulder problems. The kinetic chain, uh, you know, how you put force into the ball, uh, you start at the foot, it goes up the body, it comes out the hand. Uh, all that force goes into the ball, and that's how these guys throw the ball 90 miles an hour and spin the heck out of it and make it move 50 feet, it looks like, sometimes. Um, the more force you're putting into the ball, the more uh, – force is going through the body so when you see things starting to go down that kinetic chain uh that means it's looking for a weak weak link and there's always a weak link often it's the elbow we've seen that with reyes now it's up in the shoulder uh if you can remember steven strasberg a few years ago it was he had come back from tommy john surgery had shoulder lat lower back uh and then hamstring it was going straight down the kinetic chain and i'm just like okay let's See what's coming next. Um, you know, he's probably going to have an Achilles injury. Guess what happened? Um, so what they need to do is basically fix Alex Reyes' mechanics. Uh, there's just too much force going in there. Uh, the stem cell injection, again, this is something uh, not unlike PRP. With PRP, they take blood out, spin that down to get the uh, healing factors. Uh, with stem cells, they're pulling it out, usually out of the hip, um, not, not the least painful thing you can have and then injecting that directly into the site that's a little more aggressive and again the studies are mixed on how well that helps 
it's what you do to try to avoid surgery. So we'll have to see. Uh, it, it takes a while. So he's down at least a month. We're not going to see him before May if everything goes well. Uh, and it's 50-50 at best with labrum, or with shoulder injuries. When you hear frayed labrum with him, what does that mean to you, Will? Uh, it means he's a pitcher. I mean, almost okay. every pitcher is going to have some fraying in there. So that that's not so much the worry. It's when it gets symptomatic, when it's affecting the mechanics, when you see a guy dropping down. Uh, the Cardinals are a smart team. They've got a good medical staff. Uh, they've got a good analytic staff. They should have an idea why. This is a problem. You know, we've learned that labrums, uh, you know, they can be fixed. We've gotten a lot better at this over the last 10 years. Uh, just the way they were tying the knots on how you put it back, when they changed that to make them a little flatter, uh, it really helped. So you see these little things the surgeons do. Uh, we've gotten a lot better at it. It's still 50-50, uh, but uh, it really comes down to is it causing problems? Is it causing pain? Is it causing inflammation? Is it causing a change in the, in the pitching mechanics themselves? He's Will Carroll, one of the best in the business, the guy that I give a call anytime that I've got questions about injuries for sports, too. He's the author of The Science of Baseball, The Math, Technology, and Data Behind America's Pastime. It's now available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can also check out his work over on Twitter, at Injury Expert. Will, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining us today, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. No problem. You guys will love chapter 10, which is about the injury-free baseball season. Let's get a lot of those. I'm I'm in favor of injury-free baseball seasons. Thanks, Will. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you. That's Will Carroll joining us here on 101 ESPN. I got to say, now, I knew it was bad on the Alex Reyes front, so I knew there was no way that we were going to get any sort of good news from him on that. I didn't know it was that bad, though. Do you feel a little better on Jack Flaherty after talking with him? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how to read these things because I've just been broken in the terms of thinking that it's going to be fine. Optimism. That. And then all of a sudden you don't see him until June. He did make it seem like it's a lot less of a problem as they've made it out to be. But again, PRP is just three letters that I can't hear when it comes to Cardinals pitchers because I hear it. Oh, I'll be back in May. And then boom, all-star weekend comes around and we still haven't seen that pitcher. So I don't know if I will feel better about it until I see him on the mound. Yeah, see, I felt a little bit better about it. I, I felt like it's more we have more of a clear idea of how long he could be out. And Grant, he was saying it could be like a week or two, and then a month till he throws. I just feel a little bit better. It sounds like it's not, it's not as serious as we thought originally. Now, Grant, it, it still could change to what you're saying, Alex, where things go uh, awry on Jack Flaherty and something else starts to bug him. The bigger one, and I didn't realize. I mean, we knew Alex Reyes. A month to two months. Well, he was saying almost made me worry that he could be done for oh, yeah. the year. That's and, the way I was pretty, took it. That was pretty uh, eye-opening for me. Yeah, I, I'm worried Alex Reyes might not pitch again for the Cardinals. And, and that's that's contract-related more so than it is like him not working out here. It's injury plus contract. I, I just don't know. I don't know what his future holds here, man. And it sucks. I feel so bad for the kid because... He's done everything in his best interest to be able to to help in any way he can. Like there are some other guys that just flat out wouldn't have gone to the bullpen. We've seen that before, right? Like they would have said, "I'm a starter. I'm going to start, and I want to be on a starter schedule because I think that'll be better for my health." Alex Reyes did whatever the team thought w- would help them best in the big leagues, and he did it to a really high level for about five months last year, and then everything went to hell down the stretch. And now, once again, he's dealing with those injuries on the Jack Flaherty front. Now, listen, I'm not comparing myself to a professional athlete. Jack Flaherty, first of all, has much better doctors and everything than I could ever even possibly imagine to have. But in my knee, I have a 
partial meniscus tear. It's something that I've dealt with since high school. It's something that will always bother me, at least in some way. And as a result of it, I get some bursitis in my knee, in the back of my knee, because it pushes fluid back, and that's where the inflammation comes from. If that's what Jack Flaherty's dealing with right now, like there are days where I feel totally fine, totally fine. There are other days where I feel like hell in my knee. It's and there's rain on those days. Yeah, there's nothing that you can do about it. So that would be the one issue. And again, it's hard for me to compare myself to Jack Flaherty. Like the guy has crazy amounts of information about his body on every day. But if that's something that he's just going to deal with for the majority of his career, man, that ain't going to be easy. And I, I don't know as a pitcher how you deal with that regularly and how you make sure that on the days where it does bother you, you don't allow it for it to hurt your uh, your mechanics. So I don't know, man. I felt in some ways better because we talked with him about how much time he's going to miss. But in other ways, I, I kind of have the same amount of feelings that I did earlier. I, I My biggest takeaway from all of this, I don't think Jack Flaherty signing an extension here. Because of the way that the information was disseminated over the weekend, because of the way that Jack reacted to that information that was given to the media, because of the injury, just signing a long-term contract to a pitcher that has a partial tear in his labrum doesn't seem great, doesn't seem like something the Cardinals would prefer to do. I, I don't know about his future here or Alex Reyes' future here in St. Louis as yeah. a result of this. I'm, I'm worried for Alex that his future might be bleak, which... Is really frustrating because you feel for that guy. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But coming up next, I was taken aback over the weekend, really over uh, Friday as we were getting done with our show. The fast lane broke the news to Sean Watson going to Cleveland. I completely understand the move from a pure football perspective. And also, it made me feel pretty sick inside. We'll talk about that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. As I was driving home on Friday, I was listening to the fast lane and they announced much to the disappointment of Anthony Stalter. That the Browns, not the Falcons, were going to be the landing spot for Deshaun Watson. Then we got more and more news, and it just kept trickling down, and it was like, okay, they got him for this, and okay, they're paying him this, and oh, by the way, the first-year salary is going to be this. And Alex, I just felt myself just honestly sad after all of it. It's like, man, this is a guy that has 22 different accusations from 22 different women of some kind of sexual misconduct. And I'm not telling anybody how to be a fan. Like if you're a Browns fan today and you're happy, I, I get it. And I'm trying to reconcile this in my own head. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today because Deshaun Watson, after one year off with these 22 different accusations against him, got an $80 million race. He had his entire contract fully guaranteed the likes of which we have never seen before in the history of the NFL. This dude has a five year fully guaranteed contract. That's never happened before. He handpicked the team that he wanted to go to, and he has a $1 million salary this year because he knows, the team knows, every one of us know, he's probably facing some kind of a suspension once he's back on the field this year now that his uh, criminal case has been thrown out and it's just the civil cases that he's potentially facing. My assumption, he's probably going to get like an, a four to eight game suspension, somewhere in that stretch. So he's going to miss out on somewhere between $250,000 and $500,000. All of this just makes me feel gross, man. All of it. Every single last bit of it. He won. The only winner in this entire situation is Sean Watson. And whether you want to say, hey, 
this is 22 different accusations and we don't know what happened, blah, blah, blah. Even in a best case scenario, from what we understand about these stories, in a best case scenario, Deshaun Watson had some sort of sexual relations with 22 different massage therapists, 22 different ones. And that's not a, those are just the ones that are coming forward to press charges against him. It's gross. It's gross. And if I'm a Browns fan today, I don't know what to do about it, man. Because for the first time in my franchise's history, we've got a top five to 10 quarterback in the league. And that's awesome. Like there is no better feeling than knowing your team's going to go into every season with a stud at the position. There's nothing better. And also at the same time, it's this guy that just went through all of this over the last year. So from, from the Browns perspective, purely football perspective, it's the smartest move they've made in two decades of being in existence. It's a really smart move from a pure football perspective. You got a mid twenties quarterback. Who's a top 10 player at his position. And you're going to be able to compete for years to come. And he gave up three first round picks to do it. Would do it every day of the week. And also from a like human perspective, this is just gross. And I'm having a really tough time reconciling those two things right now as we watched all of this go down over the weekend. I get it. And I'm sure a lot of people are as well. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people in Cleveland are torn with this to where the excitement is there for it. And then, of course, you got the other side of this also that plays into everything. And, you know, the more I thought about it when we were talking in the office, I, I just don't know who to be upset with. You know, like, obviously you're frustrated that Deshaun Watson is getting his way with everything that's taken place. And it is, it's gross. But then on the flip side of it, I mean, this is the NFL and there's nothing they can do about this other than suspend them. And then, you know, the slap on the wrist and you move forward. It's the same circumstances as happened in so many other cases around with the NFL, but this one hurts even more because you know, the star power takes over with it. You know, that as soon as Deshaun Watson, um, as soon as Deshaun Watson takes his suspension and uh, goes through it, comes back, gets on the field, plays that first game, it feels like people are just going to forget about it. And that's the part that's so infuriating with this. And you wish that there was something more that the commissioner of the NFL can do in terms of penalizing the team, penalizing the player, but there's not. And beyond that, you're right. The harder part is the fact that he got what he wanted. And that's on the agent, Deshaun Watson, and frankly, on Houston for allowing him. Yeah. See, that's the other thing is like, I'm not sure they should have anything more that they should do about it in terms of the commissioner. Like it, it becomes a really difficult situation in that I, I don't, there, there is nothing that anybody could have done differently in the spot. Honestly, there, there's not like somebody was always going to take a shot on a chance on Deshaun Watson because of his immense talents. And because he's like mid twenties. Like we, we were talking about this earlier today, Alex, and you brought up Ray Rice. The reason Ray Rice didn't end up having another job is not because teams were so disgusted about what took place in that elevator. The reason why Ray Rice didn't get another job is because he was a running back that was over 30. Like that's why he didn't end up back in the league. We've seen other situations like this. Kareem Hunt going to the Cleveland Browns. He's now a part of the Browns, and he got a second chance. Why? Because he was young and he was good. Why is Tyree Kill still in the NFL and about to get a record-setting contract potentially from the team that I root for? Because he's really good, really talented, and the Chiefs are going to build around him as a result. There's nothing that the league can do about that. 
And there's nothing that the league could do to prevent one of these teams from going out and acquiring Deshaun Watson. Frankly, nor should they. Like that, this was the right football move for whoever was going to acquire him. If he ended up on the Falcons, I, I'm certain that a good amount of Falcons fans were going to be super excited about it because he's great. He's excellent. He's a tremendous young player. But God, it just it, it does make me feel kind of gross about all of it. Let's here's a few texts that I I do want to kind of get into. Uh, from the 636 guys they've investigated it there are no criminal charges that are are facing against him his sex life is none of your business 22 different women is gross okay so what bk you're an idiot talk about sports not a sex life listen man if you read all of the stuff about what took place in these instances and your takeaway was nothing weird happened there or it's none of our business his sex life is none of our business like god bless you that's your you're right that's your pro that's fine i didn't view it that way at all i i read those things and it seemed gross to me what took place and if i was a browns fan today it'd be tough to reconcile those two different things And yet I would be hard pressed to tell you that I wouldn't be rooting for him on Sundays. And that's what's so like I've got myself looking internally right now is because I can view. I see both sides on this thing, man. I I really do. If you're a fan of the Browns today and you're thrilled that Deshaun Watson is your new quarterback. I totally understand that because he's great. If you're somebody that works for the Browns. You were absolutely correct in doing everything you could in trying to acquire one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. That was the right football decision for you. And also, on the flip side, there's all of this other stuff that comes along with it. And 10 years from now, we'll probably be doing for Deshaun Watson, or 15 years from now, I guess, if he plays that long, we'll do for Deshaun Watson what we did for Big Ben. You remember that last home game for Big Ben? It was a damn celebration of the guy. There was some stuff in his past as well that wasn't great. So it, it 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 ends up getting whitewashed by the end, and we don't remember that stuff. We just look at what took place on the field. Ray Rice, or excuse me, uh, Ray Lewis. There was some stuff at the beginning of his career that we didn't talk about a whole lot by the end. This is the way that it works, and it's not just football. It's not just the NFL. This is sports in general. If you are good enough, we'll, we're willing to overlook a lot of the, the bad things that are in your past regardless of what they were. I guess for me – when you see what the Trevor Bauer situation has unfolded in Major League Baseball, I'd like to see that happen with the NFL and Deshaun Watson or just continue to push it off. But that's what it was. That's what it was last year. And, and, and eventually but do any of us think that Trevor Bauer is ever going to pitch again in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I do. Really? Absolutely. I, I, someone I, will give him a chance. I don't think so. I, I just I, I kind of feel like this thing's just going to keep going on because nobody wants to touch this. He'll never pitch for the Dodgers. But I, someone will someone will take a chance on him. I think it'll be interesting. He's a thirty year old former Cy Young candidate. Now, if if he was twenty five, I would be even more stern about this. Like if he was if he was coming off of his All Star season back in two thousand and eighteen, he's a twenty eight year old pitcher coming off of a two point two ERA. Yeah, I would be shocked if he didn't have another suitor. Now that he's thirty one years old and he's getting towards the backside of his career, maybe it won't come quite as quickly. But, yeah, I would be pretty surprised at this point if Trevor Bauer didn't pitch for somebody again at some point in his career. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get something a little bit more happy to talk about. The 20 most important Cardinals for 2022. We get into number 16 on our list. But coming up next, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. 
alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you got for us? Well, we know my story's good because it starts in Florida. Uh, all bad all stories, stories start in Florida. <laughs> yes. Now, a question for you before I get into this. When the light turns yellow, what do you do? Do you punch or do you hit the brakes? You punch. Yellow okay. means speed the hell up so you can make it before it turns red. Okay. That sounds about right. Uh, I'm kind of in the same category. I think it depends where I'm at, but... Uh, on the fence, because yeah, shocker. surprise, surprise. I mean, that is true. Like if you're if you're within those solid lines on the road when it's yellow, that's when you speed up. Okay. If your if your front wheel isn't in those solid lines, then you got to slow down. Gotcha. So the guy in Florida did this Driving kind of one with BK and Ferrari. Did this kind of decision making on a drawbridge instead of a yellow oh, and red line. Yeah, you can't do that. And he thought he was going to make it, so he punched it on his motorcycle while the drawbridge is starting to go up. He was on he a motorcycle. He determined that he wasn't going to make it, so he, he slammed on the brakes. You didn't he tell falls us he was off, on the motorcycle. and you see just the sad little motorcycle get to the top, and just as you think, oh, it's <laughs> going to make it back down, no, it floats down oh. and into the water. Yeah, see, like goaltenders, you, when in doubt, get out. You know, like when the what? pucks when the pucks fifty fifty, it's when in doubt, get out. The goalie, you just got to go for it. You can't think because if you wait, if you hesitate, over then a drawbridge. Yeah, Alex? if you're on a motorcycle and it's already going up, when in doubt, you got to gas it. You can't just slow down because then you've already to, you've, if you've, you don't make it, you're dead, man. You've committed. <laughs> There's water. You've There's committed water. already. Now it depends on where the drawbridge is at. Like, it, did it just start going up when he went, or was it already by time, halfway by, so up? So by the time that you see him, like, or him bail on the Motorcycles up. up. It's not straight up. It's, it's gone at in like 60 45 seconds. You're going over saying Fast and the Furious. You gotta go fast. You gotta gas it. See, I was gonna ask you guys. Was there any scenario? I would on a drawbridge. Yellow light to red is different story in my opinion. But a drawbridge, I'm yeah, hitting the brakes not all the time. In, oh, considering that you're not. Uh, you're putting your life on the line with it. Yeah, I think I'd stay away from that. Looks like we might I was have gonna a trade. Say, I think I got something. With we the, might have with a trade blues? for the St. Louis Blues. It might be something that we've talked about. I'm trying to find confirmation. Do you see any confirmation, Alex? I because the, and the, I don't want to do this again because I did the Petro one and I and I right. never heard the Should damn the end button? of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna couch it like this. I think that this is real, <laughs> but I, so hit the button. Should, I'm should, gonna should give we? myself the out that a gentleman by the name of Mark Sheik, Sheik, yeah. a hockey journalist, and covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. He says that according to Kevin Weeks, but like I haven't seen Kevin Weeks, and why would he be getting the information from Kevin Weeks? I'm guessing he's on ESPN. I don't know. According to oh, Kevin there's Weeks, there's another one that just came out. Arthur Staple from the New York Rangers, a columnist that covers the team for the Athletic. He said the same thing. Yep. Looks right. like the Blues have acquired Nick Letty. Oh, I was going to hit the breaking news sound. Well, everything. let's wait until it's confirmed before we hit the, the breaking news. I have not seen any return on this. No compensation for this. Um, Kevin Weeks has not posted a video of him in the bathroom <laughs> stating this or at a barber's chair. Frank Cervelli's got it now. It's two people and then now Frank Cervelli. Okay. Alex, how do we feel about it? Tanner, we can take down the, you know what? Let's do this yeah. on the other side. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. According to multiple reports now, the Blues are acquiring Nick Letty, the left-handed defenseman from the Detroit Red Wings. This is a guy that we've talked a lot about in the past. He is a rental, right? This is the last year of his contract. Yeah. We do not have terms yet on exactly what they gave up to acquire Nick Letty, but they found their left-handed defenseman. What does this mean for the Blues? What do we think of the deal? We'll tell you on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
confirmed the Blues have made their first trade of the day. Kevin Weeks first for a reason. Kevin Weeks confirmed it in front of a ladder. I do believe that this is my own personal belief. I think there's another trade coming. Now, here's why. According to Frank Saravalli, the Blues have traded Oscar Sundquist and Jake Wallman as, quote, part of the deal going from the Blues to Detroit. And in return, they are going to get Nick Letty, the left-handed defenseman. He had a $5.5 million contract this year. If you traded back Wallman and Sonny, you made the money work. I'm assuming that as part of this deal, Detroit will take on 50% of the salary for Nick Letty. Boom, you're good on terms of the money there because that'll get you down to what Sonny and Wallman are making this year. That being said, Alex, and we don't know yet if there's any or how many draft picks are part of this uh, trade, if you're trading Oscar Sundquist, I would have to imagine you're going to go out there and acquire another fourth liner to take his spot on the fourth line, right? Yeah, I mean, I I would really... It's hard for me to believe that you would be giving up a player that you feel is impactful for your identity. And, I I mean, because like it or not, I know he's injured, but Oscar Sundquist plays the way that Craig Berube wants his team to play. And he hasn't been 100%, but you gave him up. So you got to find somebody who can play on that fourth line now because now your fourth line without Tyler Bozak is Torpchenko and McEachern and Dakota Joshua. So and maybe that's the way they want to go with this one. I'm not sure. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm trying to see if Detroit has any guys that could match a fourth line role for him for cheap. They got a Sam Gagne who makes $850,000 who's a unrestricted free agent. I don't know. Maybe he's a part of this deal also. Um, I, I don't... There's, there's this, this is a really surprising trade for me. Like Nick Letty makes a lot of sense. We've talked about him. Mike McKenna has told us about him. I know Jamie Rivers has talked about him on the show, but he definitely doesn't match the identity that you were thinking the blues needed in terms of the Ben Sherratt, the Jacob Chickrens to play on the top level. Can I take a victory lap or is that not allowed on this yeah, show? Go for it, man. Go for it. You deserve this one. I I've been trying to explain to people the way that you make the money work this year for the Blues is by trading one of Barbie or Sonny. And I I'm I didn't want that to be the case, but the Blues only have so many players that are making between 2 and 4 million dollars and that's the route they were going to have to go because if somebody that they acquire is in that 5 to 7 million dollar range, which is what most of the defensemen were that we were talking about, if you take that down 50%, you get into this salary range that we've been talking about. So you're talking Scandella, Barbie, and Sonny. Those were the three guys that made any sense. You can't trade Scandella as a positive asset because you're getting rid of him for a reason. It's because he hasn't played well for you, and he's got multiple years left on his deal. The two guys that you could trade that would be considered assets to one of these teams that are building for the future were Sonny and Barbie. And out of those two, it's very clear which one you would rather trade. Barbie's been too good for you this year. Sonny still has some issues with the health and legitimate questions moving forward. So it always made sense to me that Sonny would be this kind of an asset that ends up getting traded elsewhere. What do you think about the Nick Letty addition specifically, Alex? Where are you at on this? So uh, we've talked about him in the past, and I was pretty adamant about this not being the answer for the Blues. Now, I still want to see what the draft pick compensation that they gave up. But look, like it or not, you gave up a, a guy who wasn't at full strength this year and a player who was never going to be in your top six for Nick Letty as it stands right now. So as much as I poo-pooed on the Nick Letty side of things and you go with the advanced analytics on the player cards of the athletic the defense according to uh, Dom has them in the bottom pair for this season but I do know that people pride Nick Letty and they talk a lot about Nick Letty 
in the fact that he can move the puck out of the zone with ease. So um, Megan Chaka, uh, who's a uh, analytics on the ESPN side, this is what she just posted. The strengths of Nick Letty, the ability to carry the puck out of trouble, up the ice, makes a good first pass, creates offense for teammates, and gets shots through from the blue line. Ninth fewest point, point shots blocked at even strength. Those are big-time ads for the Detroit Red Wings. And if you want to go by past experience, Nick Letty in his time with the New York Islanders has missed the playoffs twice. And in the last two years, the Islanders went to the Stanley Cup final and they went to the Eastern Conference final. And then, of course, the first year he's not with them, they're missing the playoffs. So I like the move as it stands for Nick Letty. I've got the full trade for you, Alex. Okay. Uh, The Blues have traded Jake Wallman, Oscar Sundquist, and a 2023 second-round pick for Nick Letty and Luke Witkowski? Yeah. Depth depth defenseman. So that's what you got. You're basically replacing Jake Wallman with Luke Witkowski. And you're the the trade's really for Nick Letty. Yeah, Luke Luke Witkowski has been playing 44 games in the AHL this season. So you've just added a depth right shot defenseman to your team who's got so it's 132 games of NHL experience. Wallman, Sonny, and a second for Nick Letty. Essentially, it, it's a lot. It, we we knew that the ask was going to be really high if you ended up going this route. I, in all reality, a second-round pick I'm not upset about. I'm glad they didn't give up a first-round pick. But it's in next year's draft, which everybody seems to believe is is a better draft than this year's. But you've got your first and third still for next year's draft as it stands now. Obviously, other things can happen. You know, the other thing with Nick Letty is there's a potential of an extension with him if he plays well. And I just, I'm so hesitant to to react poorly or positively with this because I just don't know Nick Letty when he was playing with the Islanders the last two years he was influential on the Islanders being such a good team he was their top minutes guy he was the left-handed shot he played the power play I think he played the penalty kill he was at even strength he's very good at moving the puck out of the zone so I was about to say that that's the thing that everybody says about with Nick Letty there are some some numbers that have come out a guy by the name of Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter Um, he puts out some interesting graphics and stuff Uh, he put out what the percentiles are for how good you are at certain aspects of your job as a defenseman Nick Letty is a 95th percentile exit guy so passes out of the zone 95th percentile to dumb this down only five percent of defensemen are better at getting the puck out of their zone by a pass than nick letty so he's really really good at that the problem is he's basically bad at everything else like he's not good at denying in, uh, anything into the crease. He's not a guy that's going to be that big, physical, menacing presence that we've talked about. He's really good at a specific aspect of the game. Now, that being said, as much as we've talked about their issues getting rid of guys in front of the net, they've also had some huge issues with turnovers in their own zone of late, that's, especially with passing. That's been their bigger issue. I don't know if the issue has been as much on guys standing in front of the net as guys getting caught behind the net two-on-one and a player standing there by himself. And like it or not, we want that big physical presence, the Ben Sherratt, to shove guys out of the way. But for what the Blues are getting in Nick Letty, if this deems to be true, 
you're not going to have to worry about the big physical presence in front of the net because if he's quick to move the puck out of the zone, Jay Bomeister was never a physical presence in front of the net. He was very good at picking the puck off of a stick of the opponent and then moving it up out of the zone. If this is Nick Letty's area of expertise and and Megan Shaka, who I referenced a little bit ago, um, 11th in the National Hockey League in D-zone exits at even strength per 60 minutes. So you're getting one of the better players at the defensive zone exits. And let's remember, he's playing on a bad team, so the analytics don't look great right now. But again, I'll go back to it. You're getting playoff experience. He's played in 31 playoff games in his last two seasons. And he was on a team that was a Stanley Cup contender last year. Now he's not there. They have the exact same team still in place, and they're missing the playoffs. He obviously has impact. How do you feel about Nick Letty? as the answer to the issues for the blues on their blue line. Cause I, this is it. This is, this is your guy. You now have a defensive core that is Letty with Pareko Falk with Krug and one of Scandella. I, I would have to imagine probably Mikola with Bortuzzo as your, that's your six um, today on their, on their line rushes, which I don't know how much you take credit into this, but Mikola was the seventh defenseman in the line rushes. Jake Wallman was skating with Robert Bortuzzo. Interesting. Well, Wallman's not here anymore, so we don't have well, to worry about that. That's, what I'm saying. that's definitely not But that's what I'm saying. Nick Letty, does he just... Because obviously they, they keep Marco Scandella in there. You would imagine Nick Letty's going to be skating with Colton Pareko. Yes. Is you, it Scandella, you don't make this deal for him to be a sixth defenseman. Is Scandella dropping down to play with Bortuzzo and then Mikola is that seventh defenseman? That, that's what we're going to have to wait to find if out. If you end up making another deal for a fourth liner, let's say it's Cal Clutterbuck, that would probably require you like you you would be paying them to take on Scandella's deal as opposed to paying them to take down half of the salary. That's my guess as to how they would make it work. Yeah, and I don't know how you make that work. I mean, I don't I think Cal Clutterbuck's probably out of the equation because from what I understand, the Islanders are asking a lot for him because oh, they'd really? like to keep him. And now you don't have a second round draft pick in this year's draft or in next year's draft. So you would probably be talking, you're not giving up a first round pick, but multiple picks beyond the second round or some type of prospect in return. I'll be honest with you. It's more shocking to me that Sonny was a part of this because I just didn't expect it. I I thought they viewed Sonny as a major piece in that locker room, but you're right. You said this all along, BK, you're going to have to move something you don't want to move to upgrade on the defensive side. And for me, I, I would imagine the Blues were looking at this as it's either Ivan Barbashev or it's Oscar Sundquist because you're not going to be able yep. to keep both of those guys moving forward. 100%. You're going to go with the guy who hasn't had two hip surgeries and an ACL injury and a guy who's on pace for 60, 70 points this season. So it sucks to lose Sonny. He was such a big role in that team winning the Stanley Cup, but you just didn't know if he was going to get back to that level for you. So here's the thing about this deal. This is the first time that I think there's been negative blowback to a trade that Doug Armstrong has made since text line's been going really negative. Since when? Like I, I, I genuinely Probably can't remember the last time that the Blues made Stasny a trade. Deal maybe no, where it was Stasny like, deal. oh, really, Army? Really? This is the deal you're making? No, because the Stasny what was the deal. just? I was not here at the time. What was the Justin Falk reaction like? Was that uh, Justin Falk? Positive? I think it was pretty positive because Justin Falk was a top defenseman at the time, and I mean, you gave up a, a Dominic Bach and. Uh, Joel Edmondson and that honestly I maybe go back to the Kevin Shattenkirk trade because you traded Shattenkirk for a Zach Sanford in a first round or a second or third round draft pick and I think a lot of people were disappointed in the Kevin Shattenkirk because he was so good on the power play other than that I, I, I you probably have to go back before Doug Armstrong like I, I 
I well, think the Oshi deal. I think that got, Oshi, got a decent amount yeah. of negative blowback. Yeah. Which was a good one. Especially by the casual fan. Like, Oshi was a time, fan favorite at the time. At the time, yes. Yeah, we now know but that Troy Brower became a playoffs, hugely important right. piece. But at the time, yeah. trading TJ Oshi for the a thing. guy that I think he had one year left on his deal, like, that was not a popular trade here in St. Louis. Here's by the any thing. Stretch. And I talked about this on, on our pre and post games with uh, with Donnie and Jeff over the weekend. When have when has anyone ever doubted Doug Armstrong in terms of the player that he has acquired? That's what signed? I'm saying. That I'm 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 honestly a little surprised by the reaction on the text line right now. Six five seven eight zero is the airport service. Just text because line. it's Oscar Sundquist. Like if the, if you, I think it was. But people were reacting this way before they even knew Sonny was involved. Yeah. It was a negative reaction to Nick Letty. I mean, but I'm not. It was I'm not the sold name on, that was a reaction. I'm not sold on Nick Letty. So I, I'm going to be one of those that's going to have to I'm be convinced either. by the play on the ice. I, I'm about as sold on Nick Letty as I am on Marco Scandella when they acquired him. But look what Marco Scandella did when they first acquired him. There was some success there. I'm not sold on Nick Letty. I'm not as down as I was a couple of weeks ago, but I don't know if he is the answer that, like, in all reality, does he move the needle for anybody of where you were to now with what Colorado and Minnesota have done? I'm going to try to sell you on this, and I will do that on the other side here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So we've got the news of the day. This is what we were all waiting for. Are the Blues going to acquire a defenseman? The answer is yes. They decided to go out there and make Let's go. what is a pretty big move, honestly. The name might not feel that way, but what they gave up certainly is. A 2023 second-round pick, Jake Wallman and Oscar Sundquist are all heading up to Detroit, and in return, they're getting Luke w- Wikowski. Write that off. And then Whoa. Nick Letty. Oh. And maybe Wikowski could be the Del Zotto for the Blues. Okay, well, this is about Nick Letty. The Blues acquired Nick Letty, and we asked on the other side, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line, where are you at on this deal? And I think the fair fair way to phrase it for us is that we're lukewarm on it. I I think it could be fine. I'm going to sell you on this, though, Alex. I'm going to try to convince you that this is actually a smart deal by the Blues. First of all, they didn't have to give up a first-round pick, which was going to be the case if they went out there and acquired one of these other big-time players. And that's big, not just for the here and now, and not even necessarily for them being able to utilize that pick in the draft, but to be able to keep the powder dry. Because if there's a big move to be had this offseason, maybe it's a Chikrin, maybe it's a Kachuk, maybe it's a Provorov. I don't know who it's going to be. It's going to require a first-round pick. So you had to keep those in hand while also upgrading a team that I do believe is worth investing in. You look at some of the best players that ended up going elsewhere. Ben Sherratt, first-round pick. Ampus Lindholm, first-round pick. Mark Giordano, didn't take a first, probably would have for the Blues, though, because of the money situation, took two seconds. You only had to give up one second-round pick in this deal. This is essentially, this is pretty similar in terms of cost to Travis Dermott, who went to the Maple Leafs. And Travis Hamanichik? Ham Hamanik. Hamanik. I brought him up before. He's a great player. Who went to the Senators. Like this is more in that line of what the cost was, and it's pretty similar to the Josh Manson ask as well. Would you have rather had Josh Manson or Nick Letty on the blue line for the Blues? If that was the 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 choice for the Blues. Because it's kind of similar. Personally, I think I would have had it rather have Josh Manson. 
because he's more of the physical presence. But that's the thing. And that's the one thing I, I, I believe Blues fans are overlooking because a lot of people are upset about this. And a lot are upset because of the Oscar Sundquist side. Look, I understand Sonny was a phenomenal player for this Blues team. He is one of the biggest reasons that they won the Stanley Cup. But you just didn't have the cap room in terms of looking at he and Ivan Barbashev moving forward. Also, and, he hasn't been that player in two years now. And with, with the two hip surgeries and the ACL surgery, you just don't know what you're going to get in Oscar Sundquist moving forward. It's a it's a tough move for the locker room chemistry. He was a great player to have, but you weren't you weren't playing with the same player. In the last two years, Oscar Sundquist has 24 points in 69 games and is a minus two on the ice. Oscar Sundquist has not been the player that we have in the back of our minds since 2019, 2020. And, and that's sad. I, I wish he was, man. I really do. I wish him all the best moving forward. That guy is easy to root for because of what he was when he first got here and what he became during that Stanley Cup run. He hasn't been the same player now in two years. He had two hip surgeries. He has not been the same because of those and the ACL injury. I just, I don't know how you could expect him to get back to that in the near future. Here's the flip side of this. And here's the Nick Luddy side of this. People need to come to the understanding that this is not the physical brand of clear the front of the net hockey anymore. They have switched that identity. They can play that way. They have players who play that way and, and Bortuzzo and Wallman and Colton Pareko and Justin Falk. But this team is more about movement of the puck and speed through the neutral zone. And what you were acquiring Nick Letty is a guy who was one of the best in the NHL, at least over the last couple of years in taking the puck out of his own zone and moving it North. On top of that, he's really good at creating offense. According to uh, Megan Shaka of ESPN stats, because he doesn't get his shots blocked. So you're upgrading over Marco Scandella, which that is what everyone wanted to do this this deadline. You wanted somebody who was better than Marco Scandella. And Mikla, both the, of them. The frustration for, I'm sure, a lot of fans is that it's not the big names of Ben Chirot, Mark Giordano. Like it or not, you weren't pulling off the deal for Jacob Chikrin or Ivan Provorov this, this trade deadline. That's more of an offseason move. So with what you acquired in Nick Letty, in my opinion, is you made your team better on the defensive side than what you currently had in place. You gave up a player who, at best next year, was going to be a fourth liner for you. That's just the reality of it. You gave up a second round pick and you gave up a defenseman that wasn't part of your future. Like when you put it that way, it doesn't sound nearly as significant in terms of the assets that you gave up. But when you hear we gave up a guy that was a significant piece of our Stanley Cup run and a second round pick and another young defenseman for this guy, you got to transition. Totally understand why you feel that way. But I guess I would just view it as this. If you were going to go out there and add another defenseman, Alex, I gave you the names earlier. It's Nick Letty, Carson Soucy, who's going to be more expensive because of the term that's left on his deal. Colin Miller, Brendan Dillon. Those were the guys that were out there. There are very few players that are still available as a left shot defenseman. This was probably the best case scenario out of the guys that were still remaining. Do I love it? No, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I love the idea of acquiring Nick Letty. I, I don't know how this is going to go. I really don't. But... I think he can be pretty solid for you. And the other thing, I, I think you made a really good point, Alex. They have transitioned now completely in terms of stylistically how they play. You look at that Falcon Krug pairing that didn't exist for the Blues in 2019. They didn't have anything approaching that in terms of the offense that they're getting from them and the way that those two play. But what you do have now from the Blues is you look at Letty with Pareko. There's a lot of offensive skill there between those two guys. You look at Krug and, and uh, Falk, a lot of offensive skill there. You've now seen, right before our eyes, the Blues transition their blue line from one thing 
to another. And that may or may not work, but that's how they view it now. So Grant Francis, who's a, a great board op for our station, does some work on the fast lane. He does some work on the blues. He works also for the Islanders pre and post games on their broadcast side. And so I texted him because, of course, Nick Letty was a big, impactful player for the Islanders over the last few years. And this is what Grant uh, sent back to me. Uh, he said, Letty is a player who steps up his game in the playoffs. Even though he's more of a puck-moving, finesse-style defenseman, he also had four years of Barry Trot-style of play in him, responsible defenseman in his opinion. So that's the one thing I think you got to come to terms with and look at the analytics. Yes, they don't look great, but also look at what he has done in the past. The numbers look really good where you look at what he has done with the New York Islanders. This, in my opinion, is very similar to the trade for Marco Scandella. It was, let's wait and see how he impacts this one because I've seen already a ton of text messages coming in saying, great, they acquired a defenseman who sucks in his own zone to play with another defenseman who sucks in his own zone. Like That's not nice. I, I understand where people's frustrations are coming from, but if you're acquiring a guy who moves the puck well in his own zone along with Colton Pareko who moves his puck well, and let's also understand you're not acquiring a 25-year-old who's only been in the league for a couple of years you're acquiring a 30-year-old who's been in the league for, I think, nearly 9, 10 years, played on Chicago, played with the Islanders. I think people are going to be a lot happier with this deal. What's going to sting for a lot of people is if Oscar Sundquist gets back, Sundquist gets back to his form with Detroit, but that's a crapshoot in my opinion. Okay, let, let's do this. Um, let's go through the Blues projected lineup for next year. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to do because we're talking right now about the Nick Letty side. But I think this is going to help people get over the fact that Oscar Sundquist is no longer also, here. Also, apparently Detroit retained. Did we mention this? That they retained. No, just 50, broke. Yeah, so they retained 50% of five and a half That's million dollars. the only in way they could have made this work. So that, that makes sense. But that also goes a little bit into the actual trade that took place. Yeah. That, that's why you had to give up the second, the second round, round pick. pick. The second round pick was not for the player. The second round yeah. pick was for the money um, would be my, my guess on that. So let's go through the, the blues lines next year, Alex, as we see them currently, because I think this will help us understand as to why it was so easy for them to move on from him. And I'm not trying to say that he had no value here in St. Louis. I'm just saying it's getting a little, a little crowded in the forward groups. So you're going to have Ryan O'Reilly. He's going to be here. You're going to have Brandon Saad. He's going to be a top six player for you. Kairou is going to be here. He'll be a top six player for you. Uh, Thomas Buchnevich. Those guys will both be here. Barbie Shin will be here as well. Do you think Perron is back next year? As it stands now? Absolutely. But I just don't know what Doug Armstrong has planned in the off season. So there's your, there's your top nine. Basically. I just went so through who was you. the top nine. Buchnevich. Oh. oh, okay. You had Vladimir in there as well. Okay, yeah. I, I can't assume he's gone because he might not be gone. He might still be here. So yeah, and you're if right. you do get rid of him, you're almost certainly acquiring somebody that will fit into your top nine. Or you're making And then a you move add in somebody. Jake Neighbors, who we all loved at the beginning of the year. And yep. let's be honest, he has more upside. If he doesn't have more upside than um than Sonny, then something's gone horribly wrong. Neighbors has more upside, so you're gonna fit him into your top nine next year. There wasn't a spot there for Sonny. So in a best case scenario, he's gonna be fitting into your fourth line. You can find those guys, man. You and can. You have, and you have a lot of guys. Became one. And you have a lot of guys. You got Dakota Joshua, who hasn't been able to stay up with the team. Who knows with what's going to happen with Clem Costin? You're 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 100 spot on with that. And it was a log jam at the forward position, and you needed to get a defenseman. And this was the ask that came with it. People would be a lot more upset if it was a Jake Neighbors or somebody that was traded for Jacob Chikrin, I would imagine. But uh, call me crazy. I still feel like there's another move coming. I, I, I still feel like Doug Armstrong has something else in the works because 
you have just depleted your fourth line. You don't have Tyler Bozak for the rest of the season if the four weeks stand up. You've got rid of Oscar Sundquist. You're not going into the playoffs with a fourth line of Mackenzie McEachern, a Alexi Torpchenko, and insert name here. I feel like there's going to be another move that's coming our way sooner or later with Doug Armstrong, and I wonder if that next move makes people feel a little bit better with the trade that just took place for Nick Letty. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're getting a lot of texts on this. We're going to continue with this conversation on the other side. We got one right here from the 618. Guys, you are extremely undervaluing the depth pieces, responsible centers, and penalty killers. That's why I have such an issue with this trade. Let's talk about that a little bit on the other side. We'll get into more of what the Blues gave up and what they're potentially getting with Nick Letty. The news of the day, the Blues have acquired left-handed defenseman Nick Letty from the Detroit Red Wings. Get your thoughts in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Also, the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So normally we would be playing in or out here today. Instead, we're going to continue talking about the big trade that the Blues have made. According to all of the different reports that are out there at this point, the Blues have traded a second round pick, Jake Wallman and uh, Oscar Sundquist to Detroit. And in return, they're going to get Nick Letty. Now, the Detroit Red Wings had to take on 50% of the salary. That's why the price seems like it is so high. It's because it is because the Blues needed somebody to be able to take on a portion of the salary for them to be able to fit this underneath the cap. Alex, I, I think it's a I think it is a good deal in that I think it makes the blues better. And I think he was probably the best of the options that remain. Now, if Jacob Chickering gets traded at some point in the next hour and a half, my tune on this could change. If Chickering gets traded and we're like, hey, why didn't the blues match that offer? Tomorrow I will say the blues made a mistake. As of right now, though, I don't have an issue with this trade. I I don't have an issue with them trading Oscar Sundquist right now because I think you're watching what he's going to be for the foreseeable future. He's got one more year left under, under club control. I If he played like this again next year, I can't imagine the Blues were going to re-sign him. So you use him as an asset to get something that you needed right now. You didn't have to give up a first-round pick, which is huge for them. And you continue to have the flexibility this offseason to go out and make that big move. Maybe it's Jacob Chikrin. Maybe it's a Provorov. Maybe it ends up being, hey— Forget the defense. We're going to go out there and get Matthew Kachuk. They kept the powder dry for the most part. So I don't have a huge issue with this deal, even though it does come as a bit of a surprise stylistically, the type of defenseman that they ended up with. Yeah, I think I think people are going to feel a little bit better of Nick Letty after they see him in action with the Blues. And I don't know if that's going to be with the team tomorrow against Washington or if they're going to move that on to Thursday against the Flyers. But whatever it may be, you don't know. You're going to feel a little bit differently once you actually see him play. Right now, I think the only thing people are going off of is the fact that it's not Jacob Chikrin or Ivan Provorov, and it's not a elite defenseman playing with Colton Pareko. It's a, according to the analytics, a second-pairing defenseman, which people look at and be like, what the hell are they doing here? But I think this is... The way I look at this is, would you have rather done this and actually gotten somebody who could be a good asset for you or just trade a third round pick for a Justin Braun because that was the next step down. Your next step down was just trading a third round pick for a guy who was at best a or third pairing defenseman. Ville Husso for Jacob Middleton. 
Yeah. That that was the other alternative out there. That Because you wouldn't have had to take on any salary if you were getting Jacob Middleton. The next alternative was going to be something that wasn't going to make you a contender when it comes to other teams it was Brendan in the Dillon, Western Conference. Carson Soucy, Colin yeah. Miller. Those and, were the guys. And going back to the texter's point before we took that break, talking about you know giving up somebody who plays the penalty kill and for how influential he is. Look, Oscar Sundquist has not been that player. Now, last year was probably his best year in terms of time on ice because he played 15 minutes and nine seconds. But that was out of necessity because they had so many guys that were hurt. But you declined after that with the um, 31 points in the 2018-2019 season, the 23 points in the shortened season, the the 57 games that you played during that pandemic year. And in all reality, in terms of the time on ice for Oscar Sundquist, I wanted to pull this up because I was just looking at this shorthanded. He hasn't been used as much this season in that spot because the Blues know that he's not himself right now. So I know it stings with Oscar Sundquist, but you can't be looking at Oscar Sundquist from four years ago. You got to be looking at what Oscar Sundquist is right now and what you acquired to people. What do people want Braun now? <laughs> like, what is Did going people on? really want Braun? <laughs> Did somebody say we they'd had rather multiple play? textures simultaneously say, I would have rather had Braun. You Braun have is actually physical, which is what the Blues needed. See, that's the thing. And that's something, and I, and I can't wait to listen to Jamie Rivers talk about this later on on the fast lane today. But that's, Everybody's told us that he was a third-pairing defenseman. Not even a third-pairing. He's a depth defenseman who could play, and he's a right shot. I mean, he, he plays 20 minutes a game. I, he could have played your third pair. The, the but, one, people just, they got to come to terms with the fact that this is not the Joel Edmondson, uh, Alex Petrangelo team anymore like this is a new team that has done a different variety of style yes you got to keep guys out of the front of the net but that's not so much about shoving guys away from it it's more about the stick placement and being able to tie other guys sticks up and if Nick Letty was impactful with the New York Islanders the last two seasons what makes you think that he's going to be bad in this spot for the Blues so here Here's a question that I've got for you guys. I What's, can't believe people are saying they would have rather had Braun for a third. Like, what are we doing here? Hey, man, here? you know I'm on board. <laughs> what are we doing here? I was on board. Um, Nick Letty, what's he have to do to get Blues fans on board, do you think? Not allow, allow goals no, when he's I, on I'm, the ice. I'm being totally serious, though. Like, I, I don't know he's if... Going to, they're going to allow goals while Nick Letty is on the ice. Like, that happens. Like I but, said, I don't know if this is going to be as much on Nick Letty as it's going to be on Oscar Sundquist. Because if Oscar Sundquist goes to Detroit... But it's only one year, and Oscar Sundquist is not going to be any different the rest of the year. I, so I'm talking about the rest of this season. I understand that, but I don't... I, I think people's thoughts on Nick Letty aren't as much tied to how bad he is. They're more tied on what you gave up for him. Like, I think people are more focused on the fact that you gave up Oscar Sundquist for Nick Letty. But I, I think it's about Letty. I really do. I think this is about, like, there's definitely a portion of it that goes towards Oscar fish. Sundquist. But I, I think a big part of this is people are not excited about adding Nick Letty. But see, like, like, regardless if Sonny was involved or if it was just a second-round pick going back, I think people would be upset that this was the defenseman that they decided to acquire. But see, people are texting saying, Letty doesn't make us any better when you lose Oscar Sundquist. Uh, okay, well... You guys expect, I, I mean, like people are, I think people are more frustrated. If you take Oscar Sundquist's name out of this and insert any of your prospects, people would be upset, but they would, I feel like be looking at and take out the top prospects of like the Perunoviches and the Boldukes and the neighbors. I'm talking like if you were to take Sonny's name out and put Nikita Alexandrov in that I conversation. I think it's definitely a little bit of both for sure, but I don't think Nick Letty was getting anybody excited. Like acquiring Nick Letty was not going to be the thing that was everybody gets on board and says, yes, we are a championship contender. And and this from the 314, it's a thousand percent about Letty. We have enough small, slow defensemen. Nick Letty is not slow. 
Nick Letty, yes, he's small, but Nick Letty is not slow. He's one of the top defensemen at even strength of moving the puck out of the zone. So what I, the reason why I ask this is because I do think it is important. What is it going to take for Nick Letty to get everybody on board? Because, again, he's going to be on the ice when goals are scored against. That's going to happen. That's part of life as a defenseman. It's like a reliever. They're going to give up home runs every once in a while, and it's about what they do when they're not giving those home runs. That ends up being what you, you think about them. What What are we expecting out of Letty? Because I think realistic expectations and setting them in a place that's not outlandish is an important place to start. I, I think the expectation should be, and I apologize for diverting off of that, the expectation should be you see the turnovers cut down. That's going to be the biggest thing with Nick Letty. If guys are parked in front of the net, yeah, they're going to get frustrated with it. But you got to come to the terms that he's not going to play that way. He does have a little uh, grittiness to him, but it's not to the level of what a Ben Sherrod is. But if you still see the amount of turnovers taking place with Nick Letty on the ice and Nick Letty being a part of it, or if the Blues get hemmed in their own zone and Pareko and Letty are struggling to exit the zone, that's where I think the biggest judgment is going to come on Nick Letty because that's the selling point on Nick Letty. He's great at transitioning the puck out of your zone, and that's been the biggest Blues struggle is them not being able to exit their zone at even strength or on the penalty kill. Uh, and I think that's the thing for me is if you see that top pairing of Letty and Preko have a better time getting out of their own zone and it's obvious, then I think that's where fans will go. And I also think it comes down to, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex, I think he's going to have to have kind of what the Marco Scandella impact was when he first came to the Blues when you had the uh, Bowmeister situation where it was, oh, wow, they've gone 6-1 and one in seven games and people were pointing at Marco Scandella as being, hey, look, he's kind of a guy, he's not the biggest defenseman you could go acquire, but he was a big impact on why the Blues were winning games. I think if Vladi and Preko are limiting turnovers in their own end as that top pairing, it's going to lead to Blues winning more games, in my opinion, and I think that's how the fan base will go back towards Nick Letty. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is an interesting point. Adding Nick Letty right now is like adding Jay Happ and John Lester for the Cardinals last year at the trade deadline. None of us liked it at the time, but it ultimately worked out. I think one thing we need to keep in mind is I think everybody needs to remember just how bad that top pair left-handed defenseman has been so far for the Blues. Going from really poor play to pretty solid play, which I think is a fair way to characterize Nick Letty. Not great, but pretty darn solid. That's going to look like a massive upgrade at times this year. And to finish out the season, if you can just avoid those atrocious plays, how many times have we said, Marco Scandella, dude, you can't you can't make that pass in your own zone. I mean, it's been, what, 10, 12 times this year? And if he can just avoid that, it's more about what Nick Letty doesn't do to me than it is what he does do. And that may sound strange, but it's those stupid turnovers that go back into your own net where the everybody's moving up the ice, you have a bad pass, then it comes right back and you've got a three-on-one situation. That's what he has to avoid. If he can do that and you start getting the puck out of your own zone more regularly and more consistently, I think that's how I'm going to be evaluating this as a potentially positive trade for the Blues down the stretch. Keep an eye on his offense, too. I mean, yeah, he picked up some points with the New York Islanders when he played with them, and I don't foresee him having any power play time for the Blues. Um, but to to Megan Chaka's point of ESPN, which I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, he's really good at getting pucks on net without them being blocked. And if you get a little net front presence with the Brandon Sods and the Torpchenkos and the Pavel Buchnevichs, Maybe you see a little bit more offensive uptick here with Nick Letty as well. 65780 is the air comfort service text line uh, from the 314. You guys are just homers. You would have taped for anything that the Blues did because you work for a Blue station. 
I hope at this point you realize that is not something that we do here on the show. I don't get paid by the Blues. I, like, I, I wouldn't mind, though. <laughs> I don't have any sort of issues saying that I disagreed with a decision. I, I said it a couple of weeks ago. I was adamant about Nick Letty is not the answer for this team. I, I think they overpaid. And I think you had to overpay at this deadline. When we saw all of the prices that were being paid over the weekend, you had to know at that point in time. If the Blues are going to make a move, the moment that they make it, you're going to say this is an overpay. And you had to make a move, too. And that's the other thing. If you were going to be able to keep up with the teams around you, this is something you had to do. Let's talk about that on the other side. We'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind. How does this place the Blues in the Western Conference compared to the Avs and the Flames? Those are probably the top two. Where do the Blues fit into that mix? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, including our initial reactions to the Nick Letty trade, you can check it all out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Also, we have your chance to win a free copy of WWE 2K22 for PlayStation or Xbox consoles. It's right here all week long on BK and Ferrario. Throw down with the biggest and most realistic WWE superstars and legends, including The Rock, Goldberg, Brock Lesnar, so many more over on WWE 2K22. 22. It's out right now for Xbox One, Xbox X and S, PlayStation 4 and PS5, rated T for teen. You can also register to win by listening on 101 ESPN's mobile app. Here's your way to win right now, though. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. If you are texter number 101 and you can tell us what the person was writing when they crashed next to the bridge in Tanner's junk drawer, you are the winner of Today's version of WWE 2K22. Tell us what he was writing when he crashed. You can do that at 65780. All right. Putting a bow on this, the fast lane will have plenty more thoughts with Jamie Rivers coming up from two to six on the trade from today. Alex, what are your final thoughts on this, the Nick Letty deal, what they gave up for Letty, and what this means for the Blues relative to the rest of the West? I think it it stings right now because Nick Letty's analytics don't look great, and people are viewing the second-round pick, Jake Wallman, who I don't think a lot of people are that upset about, but the Oscar Sundquist one. It seems like a lot, but from everything that I have read so far, everything we're hearing about Nick Letty, he is a very smooth skating defenseman. Mike Kelly of NHL Network said, He's probably one of the better skating defensemen in the National Hockey League. He's great at his own exits, and he's really good at getting pucks on net. So if that's what they are acquiring, the biggest goal that I had for the Blues at the trade deadline was upgrading what you already had in-house. And they did that. Nick Letty is better than Marco Scandella. He's better than Nico Mikola. He's going to play with Colton Pareko. And here's the other thing. I know a lot of people are upset about um, getting somebody who's not great defensively with Colton Pareko, who struggled defensively. I think a lot of the reason Colton Pareko has struggled defensively is because he has had uh, he has had 
trying to think of the word basically it's just not very good players next to him well that Whoa. but it's, it's oh that was not the I word mean, if we're gonna say it, it we're gonna say it. they're that, upgrading but, for a reason it's that but it's not consistent like he's got inconsistent guys who you just don't know what to expect marco scandela one minute's playing great but then the next game he's turning the puck over unpredictable Nicol- thank you very much unpredictable he's got a little more predictability now with a veteran in nick luddy i i like the move because it upgrades what you had in-house it's not as big as I would have would have liked to see the Blues do, but I think it's a good rental for where you are now. I think you're the fourth best team in the Western Conference. In fact, you probably took a. I don't think you took a step down. I think Minnesota just surpassed you with the move for Mark Andre Fleury. So I like it. Was it as big and as sexy as I would have liked it to be? No, but I understand the move. I think this is the right move for this team right now. If you look around and look at some of the prices that these other teams were paying to get these defensemen, I would not have wanted for what it was going to cost the Blues because of the money situation to get Sherratt or Giordano. I would not have paid that price no. for those two guys in particular. And that was really like it, now that we've seen the guys that have left, those were the guys that you were going to look at and say that was the big time upgrade that the Blues were looking for. Otherwise, Six to one, half a dozen to the other. Whether you got Justin Braun or Nick Laddie or any of these other guys in this middle tier, I think it was all about what you were looking for. Were you looking for the physical presence? Were you looking for a guy that was with term on his deal? Were you looking for a guy that was going to be able to move the puck out of their own zone? The Blues told you what kind of defenseman they're interested in now. Like that's that's what this deal told me is the Blues now want guys that can get it out of their own zone in multiple ways. Nick Letty can skate it out of his own zone and he can pass it out of his own zone. They're less worried about the physical play in front of the net. Otherwise, they would have got one of these other guys, and they want a guy that can get it out. So I think that's what they told us. I think that the Blues are a better team today than they were yesterday. I, I, I really don't mind this straight. I really don't. And let's also take into consideration you acquired a guy who has won a Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks, has been to another Stanley Cup final with the New York Islanders, and what did we love most about Justin Braun other than the physical side of him? Playoff experience. This guy's got 121 games played in the in the playoffs. Last thing here. Alex, when the fast lane comes up at 2 o'clock and the deadline is officially over, do you think there will be another trade by the Blues? I do. Uh, I feel like there's something else coming. And understand that the deadline ends at 2 but that just wins when the paperwork has to be submitted. So you could still see um, deals leak out for the next 15 to 30 minutes. So make sure you keep it locked to the fast lane. But I do, because I do think that they're looking for another forward now for their group when the when you take away the Oscar Sundquist aspect, whether it's a fourth liner, depth piece, whatever it may be. I think there's at least one more play coming up for Doug Armstrong. I think there will be one more move. I'm not necessarily convinced of that though i'm like 80 percent sure that doug armstrong's gonna make a move it's probably gonna be a fourth liner and probably give up like a third fourth round pick for him that's where i'm at i agree with you guys by the way to your point alex uh michael russo just tweeted that the wild do have another trade coming as well so you just uh, got mark andre flurry and jacob middleton what else do you need they are uh staying probably a chick very busy if they go <laughs> <to say laughs> damn nice. you we'll see if there is a jacob chikrin move at this point we have no information to indicate that he has been dealt also provorov not dealt at this point either it looks like he's going to be staying in philly so the big the big fish that the blues were looking at might be staying in the place where yeah. they were. So that might be looking more towards the offseason. We'll talk about all of that as it comes in on 101 ESPN. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Fastlane coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.